This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Friday, folks. You made it another week. Now, the party begins. For us, it's a fun day because this is where we end up covering some uh, movies. Jeff always pulls something out of the media hat. Oh, I've got something good for today, too. Really? So, third hour. I have to say that, though. Yeah. Could you imagine if I said, ah, today's not going to be as good? Haven't even thought about it. (laughs) That would get us in trouble. It is Mario Day, though. Mario Day. Came about when it was noticed that... uh, uh, when one marks the day March 10th, it spells Mario. Oh, I get it. Yeah. It's Mario Day. From then, it just took off. Mario was first introduced in Nintendo's game Donkey Kong. By the way, one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, you just oh, lost. Darn it. I can't talk and play is the problem. <laughs> uh, when uh, Mario um, first appeared in this game in the early 1980s, he was not well. Uh, he was not the well-named plumber that would be recognized today. His name was Mister Jumpman. He was a carpenter. Now he's a plumber named Mario, and his and he has a. Is it his brother or his cousin? Brother Luigi, Luigi. is his Terry. Do you know? Is it his brother or cousin? I think Terry would know this because Terry was so into video games. But he was usually into the games that would murder Luigi and hey, Mario. To each his own. Uh, <laughs> I believe it's a brother. It's a brother. Mario and Luigi. Are you going to They, they name... both have the same mustache. It's obvious. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Donkey Kong, mm-hmm. King Kong Skull Island comes out today. Really? So I know it's not no, is that... the same ape, but... No, but is that, uh... is that supposed to be a good movie? It's got Samuel like... L. Jackson like and John Goodman in it. So, yeah, it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. It's also setting up a sequel... And the future 2020 release of Godzilla versus King Kong. Whoa. Wow. I just want to go see it so I can hear Samuel L. Jackson say something like, I'm tired of these mother-loving apes messing things up. Is that, is that what he would say? In every movie. Is that I think how he would say it or is that? It's in his contract. <laughs> you know how so, like Tom he's, Cruise. He's paraphrasing. Yeah. Is that it? Okay. You know how Tom Cruise has it in his contract to uh, take off his shirt in every movie? Yeah. Sam Jackson gets to say that line in every movie. You know, it's just insert whatever uh-huh. the, the bad guy or monster is. Well, can you just do that one more time? Just replay that one more time. I'm tired. These mother-loving apes coming to our country and messing things up. Good. That's good Samuel L. Jackson right one, there. One reviewer I read said this movie can be summed up with gorilla punching helicopter. Ooh. That's and awesome. That's why you want to go. Apparently it's yeah. it takes place in the Vietnam era. Okay. Yeah. And so they're flying around in the, the Huey helicopter yeah. and he's just knocking these things out of the sky left and How right. How exciting is that? He's about 150 feet tall instead of – who was it um, – the, the what they did the King Kong movie Peter Jackson Peter yeah, Jackson yeah. his King Kong was about they think about fifty feet tall 
He seemed like a kinder, gentler. Well, King he was Kong. small enough because yet you, you got to climb the Empire State Building. That can only be so big. And That's true. But you got to be 150 feet tall to fight Godzilla because he's huge. Oh, so yeah. Well, you know, he was only kinder and gentler though because Naomi Watts was put in front of him. Right. Absolutely. And she's very soft on the ice. Yes, she is. And she, apparently, um, Skull Island—they don't leave the island. They don't go to New York. So they don't. Yeah, that. they're not traveling. Yeah, that might be the sequel, but this now. is going to be exciting. Right. Uh, Tom Cruise gets money to take his shirt off. It's in his contract. It's either that, or he has to run in every movie. That's weird. And everybody always makes fun of his yeah. running for some reason. I don't know why. He's got a weird. Game. He's running. We um, should be happy that he's just running. I in my contract it says I have to keep my shirt on. Yes. Don't yeah, that, know why. That's more of a public health issue. Is so, it? Yeah. Good, because we're talking vaccinations today. That's good. <laughs> I don't know what they have to do with each other. Public but health. Today, vaccinations on a global scale. More and more celebrities are um, fighting against vaccinations. Yes. Uh, so now Jenny McCarthy. She's backed off. Has she? A little bit. Has she? A little bit. I think it's only because there is a shortage of things for them to be complaining about. Oh, really? Yeah. Like they don't have they don't have they there, don't have another target, is what you're saying. No, there's nothing else for them to complain about right well, now. So yeah, you know what I have done, by the way, um, before we introduce my favorite day of all time. Mm. Um, I have I haven't listened to the news or watched or listened to CNN or MSNBC for about four days. I haven't read anything about Mr. Trump. I have taken – I'm on sabbatical. Trump, we, we call it Trumpatical. I'm on Trumpatical, and honestly, I have never felt better. So I just highly recommend it to all y'all. Today we mentioned it on the show, maybe a little news, you know, what's going on in the headlines. But other than that, we're not, we're not going to talk about it. We're not – I'm not going to talk about it. I'm on vacation. From all things political. Hey, by the way, my favorite day of all time, International Bagpipe Day. Really? Yeah. This is the day because I've told my kids. Ah, it's a beautiful sound. I've got some great news for you. What? Well, first tell me what you told your kids. This is my, I want bagpipes at my funeral. Really? Yeah. Isn't I okay? I don't know how. They're very loud in like a building. But I want them, and uh, by golly, I'm going to get them. Hmm. Planning my funeral already. I think I thought your family made an agreement with you that you got one of two wishes granted at your death. You could either have bagpipe music at your funeral, or you could be buried in the spot that uh, overlooks the 7-Eleven. No. I asked to be – I have very specific rules. I asked to be buried standing. It's a weird request. Okay. But I want to be standing and I want to be uh, – what's the word? Embal- well, taxidermied in a standing speaker position, pointing my fingers like they're guns, like they're pistols. That's what I want. So – Then um, I want to be buried standing and then I want a bagpiper to bagpipe me in. Later on, Shik Shumway will be doing an update from the Bagpiper Convention awesome. that's going on. That's right. That's good. That's why we're celebrating International Bagpipe Day. So he's going to be there. No, but I thought he had a broken jaw. 
That doesn't stop him. You can't stop Schick. Well, but I'm wondering if we should. He was crushed by a 210 vehicle. Flying seven stories and I, landed on it. I don't know if vehicles are two tons. There are, there's, there there's are tons. Truck. I think there's a two-ton There truck. are tons involved it, it in car. cars. It was a car. Yeah. yeah. Tons are involved. Yeah. Um, yeah, but <laughs> he's still alive. But his jaw is wired shut. Yeah. Okay. He'll make it through. We need to we need to encourage him in these difficult times. Okay, okay. Hey, hey, hey. That's what's going to get him through this. Nothing but encouragement from me. It's also day of awesomeness, which I guess, you know, that includes Shikshamway. I was going to play Everything is Awesome. That's all right. But you have to mention that before I can play it. Okay. Oh. Mhm. I'll mention it some other time cuz I got to get to the news. But then maybe after I could mention it. If you wanted to get that ready to play. So let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to? The Republican proposal to revise the Affordable Care Act claimed its first major victories Thursday amid a backlash that both Republican leaders and President Trump spent the day trying to tamp out. The GOP proposal cleared the Ways and Means Committee and the Energy and Commerce Committees on party-line votes after marathon sessions that lasted through Wednesday night into Thursday. Now it heads to yet another panel, the Budget Committee, and it remains on track to land in the House floor by month's end. Trump met with conservative critics on the plan, citing, uh, signaling both a willingness to negotiate its details and that it does not yet have enough votes to emerge from the House. More acknowledgments of the proposal's problems came from the Senate, who suggested Thursday that the measure is moving too quickly through the House in a form unlikely to succeed if it, is, if it ever gets to the upper chamber. The National Football League has knowingly violated federal drug laws on a regular basis by giving its players painkillers and anti-inflammatories and dismissing DEA guidance about distribution of controlled substances, this all in a report from the Washington Post. The Post obtained sealed court documents filed by former players that revealed many teams' unhealthy and illegal relationship with prescription drugs in order to keep its hurting players on the field. Commentators and players always joke about taking the needle to get out there to play, so oh, it should be a huge surprise. That's a great joke. The filing claimed that every doctor deposed so far has testified that they violated one or more federal drug laws while serving in their capacity as a team doctor. Internal NFL records reportedly show that in 2012, the average NFL team prescribed about 5,777 doses of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Two tons. NFL spokesman says... The uh, court filings are meritless, and the league and its clubs will continue to vigorously defend these claims. Interesting. In a haze of anti-inflammatory drugs or something. Because apparently there's a lot of those floating around. Well, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. But when your job is to run into people, you're yeah. going to get hurt. And if you only get paid when you play, you're going to try well, everything Jeff you can said to play. he has to take the needle just to do the show. Do what you can. Got to answer that bell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Uh, a 42-year-old South African surfer and his paddleboard just made history after 93 days of paddling. Chris Berthtish. Pardon? Yeah. Finally arrived in English Harbor, Antigua in the Caribbean on Thursday, becoming the first man ever to cross the Atlantic solo on a paddleboard. Why? 
I don't know. He paddled 4,050 nautical miles since leaving Morocco on December 6th. Along the way, he encountered sharks, puffer fish, weathered rough storms, celebrated the new year in the middle of the ocean. Just oh, wow. around Lonely. out there. Well, he wasn't alone. There's a chase boat. They always <laughs> do this with a chase boat. It really kind of kills it. But he paddled an average of 43 miles a day. One day, he set a, a single-day record paddling over 70 miles. Holy cow. Now, the paddleboard isn't your normal paddleboard. It's kind of souped up a little bit, but there's no engine. He stood the no, entire it's like a big, way. it's a big, fat surfboard, yep. right? Well, and no, with a long paddle. It's got a nose cone and stuff on a little bit. Oh, so, his is like, well, yeah. yeah. But, it, but he stood the entire way. Wow. But when he when he was sleeping, he was well. Yeah, I probably jumped in the chase boat. <laughs> no, they made him stay on the board with the puffer fish. Ron Hager would love him. He's always talking about standing. I know. You just rolled your eyes. I hate standing. Finally, where's that needle? Final story of the day: tales about Richard Simmons that portray him as a weak, scared captive kept prisoner by his own housekeeper <laughs> are a lot more dramatic than what the LAPD says is the real story. Okay, he has been missing for several. Or missing from the public eye for several thousand days. Many would argue he's been missing for a very long time. Well, he's always been on, like, Letterman. He'd show up on Letterman yeah. all the time. Apparently, he makes phone calls to people, you know, fans yeah. to, to encourage them in their weight loss efforts and cool. that kind of thing. So, I mean, he's right. really trying to stay. Do you remember when Letterman would always talk about the grease on his body and yeah. how it would get all over his seats? and Right. His- yeah, sad. Well, then, then he just sort of faded from the public eye, and a certain group of people, I'm not sure who they are or why they're around, but they got really concerned about where's Richard Simmons? Where's Richard? So the police, answering people's frantic phone yeah. calls about him, went and, dis- and, and talked to What'd him. What'd they find out? Detective Kevin Becker, tell, or Becker tells people, that's where you get this information, that officers headed to the fitness star's home in response to the rumors that he was being kept against his will by his housekeeper. <laughs> They say none of it's true. He's perfectly fine, very happy, doing exactly what he wants to do, which is nothing at the moment. Law enforcement sources tell TMZ uh, as the cops visited his home, they took about two weeks ago, they made this visit. At least one person phoned in a Hostins accusation, which is why they went and made the visit. Some of this has been driven by a very popular podcast called Missing Richard Simmons Podcast. Are you serious? They get his friends on to talk about what's going on with Richard, and the friends don't know because they haven't been in contact with this, him. Uh, yeah. His, uh, his housekeepers allegedly yeah, <laughs> keeping that, him hostage. That's one of the stories. Making him eat. He's gained like 300 pounds. Right. You know what, though? Fit. I am worried about him. Because Why? he always seems to be sweating. To the oldies. Oh, man. Yeah, he's been sweating for a long time. Yeah, Letterman used to have a lot of fun with him. He used to, I seem to remember him spraying him down with a fire extinguisher. I think, I believe that, yeah. And toweling, he'd always like make him take the grease off before he could sit down and he'd put <laughs> towels down. Oh, I kind of miss Letterman. So there's been a public concern. By certain people wow. who need to probably find a different hobby. And a whole entire podcast dedicated to finding him. Yeah. It's it's like where's Waldo? Yeah, except he's just sitting in his house. And he's fine. Cops say he's fine. He's just there doing what he wants to do, which is stay out of the public eye. Everybody relax. Yeah. Rich, if Richard could talk to these people, he would say, if you would just take that energy that you have focused on me and refocus it into staying in shape. Yeah. Into your belly. People are are skeptical, though. They want a YouTube video as proof of life. Oh, because if it's on YouTube, that's proof. it's true. Yeah, well, anything that's on YouTube is true. Um, Wow, okay. Well, Richard, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, Great news, actually. 
They need to send like Steve Harvey. Somehow, I don't know why, but Steve Harvey and Richard Simmons need to hook up and and do some show together. But he's not going to get it right. No. (laughs) That's so rude. Of course he will. He gets it right on Family Feud. It was just one pageant, one moment, and he wasn't even an accounting firm. He was just little old Steve. Imagine an accounting firm getting that wrong. Yeah, that would never happen. That would never happen. Sad day. Hey, we got a great show for you today. Um, We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about vaccinations. Are they safe? Well, uh, we've got some brand new information um, out of a global immunization uh, program. Stick with us. Interesting, interesting view of why we need to immunize. Up next. Welcome back, friends. You know, going to the doctor and getting a shot is no one's favorite thing. I still remember to this day, terrified as a child, looking in at my doctor, Dick Wetzel's uh, fish tank, terrified that I was going to have to get my immunizations. Many children go through it. It's no one's favorite thing, but vaccinations can potentially save lives. There is a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, tension around the topic. Um, here to talk to us about her work in advocating for global immunizations is Lacey Eden. She's an assistant teaching professor in the College of Nursing at BYU, serves as the chair of the Utah County Immunization Coalition. Lacey also has been on the show before and uh, helps us kind of cut through some of these more technical issues. Lacey, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good to have you back. Talk to us, Lacey. Um, Immunizations, more and more people, you know, are not, I mean, are, are wondering if it's really necessary, if it's really important. Is it somehow tied to autism? Uh, but you just got back from Washington, where I guess yeah. you, you attended some, some conferences there. Talk to us about the latest information about immunization. Are they safe? Yes. Um, in fact, no other topic has been studied more than vaccines. And over and over and over again, studies have proven that they are safe. Um, in fact, they are the number one public health initiative that has been the most effective um, in saving lives and saving money. Um, for every dollar invested in immunizations, it produces a $16 savings in healthcare costs, lost wages. Um, lost productivity due to illness. Um, so they really are um, the most effective and safe thing we can do for our kids. So every dollar in saves us $16 in health care costs. I mean, I think you can't really argue with the fact that we don't see, um, I, I think it used to be like 15,000 cases of paralyzation because of polio. We don't see that. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't. S- see these things anymore. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. We don't see those things here in um, in the United States anymore. Um, globally, though, um, it was only 30 years ago where we were seeing thousands of kids with polio and many of them being paralyzed from polio every year. Mm. Um, now, however, with the work of global immunization and organizations that are advocating for this, um, polio is almost eradicated. It's only located in three countries across the globe, um, and there it's 99.9% eradicated. 
eradicated. We're, we're almost there. We're so close. Oh, and yet uh, President Trump um, recently met with some kind of anti-vaxxers. Uh, and d- does it worry you that um, in kind of some more of his, you know, I don't know, uh, atypical approaches, do you, do you worry that he might set back immunization um, the, the the immunization awareness. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And yes, um, what what I worry about mostly is that he many people are questioning the safety of immunizations based on studies that have been disproven or that were not done correctly. Um, and so people like Utah's Jason Chaffetz they want to launch investigations into the safety of immunizations again. Um, however, it's been studied over and over, forwards and backwards. It's been done. And for President Trump and some anti-vaccine supporters advocating to have this studied again really is a waste of taxpayer money. Um, there's so much more that we can be doing to protect the safety of and health of our children and children across the globe rather than redoing what has already been done as far as proving the safety of these vaccines. Isn't the main part, isn't the main argument that, um, or the popular argument is that there's mercury in the base chemical or the base of, upon which I guess they build the vaccine. Isn't it about a mercury component that is is harmful and that's what everyone's frustrated with? So the whole thing behind the mercury, um, and that has been removed mostly just to ease the, the worries of a lot of people. However, the mercury that was that is was in vaccines was an ethyl mercury. There's an ethyl mercury and versus a methyl mercury, and the way it's metabolized in your body. The type of mercury that was in um, vaccines was the type that was metabolized very easily. It didn't build up levels in your body. Didn't build up levels in your bloodstream, um, which for some people is difficult to understand. And so to help ease that worry, a lot of that stuff was taken out. However, in order for us to have multi-dose vials of immunizations, you've got to have something in there to help protect contamination from one person to another person. And so multi-dose vials are actually um, cheaper to Mm. produce. Um, And so if we could just educate the public that what we're doing to help protect those vials is actually safe, that would be incredible. But unfortunately, it's kind of turned into a snowball effect where anything about mercury or any mention about it, people tie it to autism and it's never been tied to autism. So yes, there is a question there, but it really isn't valid. And it just comes from, I guess, some some stories, some, um, some I guess, pseudo research that was done years ago, some of which has been debunked. Others, I mean, it's been extensively studied, and yet, is it just a communication issue? Is it, is, is what is the, what, why is it that, you know, maybe a few celebrities bringing up uh, a few situations can maybe, you know, so easily start to tip or impact immunizations? That is a great question, and one of the most frustrating things for a lot of us in healthcare, um, because these celebrities have quite a presence and, and um, people want to know what's people who have children with autism, they want an answer. They right. want to know what, what exactly is, what exactly happened to my child? 
what caused this um, caused autism. And so in order to have something to direct the blame or have an explanation for why this is occurring, it was, it's easy to turn to immunizations and say, okay, this is why my child has autism. But the fact is it just, that's been disproven so many times. In fact, there are a lot of studies looking into a lot of different causes for autism. And now we're looking, um, their studies are finding that there may even be a genetic link um, to autism. And so that's even more difficult to accept for parents because um, I have a lot of sympathy for parents who have children with autism. I, I'm a nurse practitioner. I see it all the time in the clinic. Um, I know how difficult this is for them. And I I would love to be able to say this is what's causing it, but to say it's it's your genetics that actually has, has caused this autism is difficult for parents to accept and understand. Right. Um is it, I mean, I guess another side of this, as parents are, are fighting and trying to figure out what's driving autism or causing autism, is it's one thing that the, that, that one child, if a parent opts out of vaccinations or immunizations, if they, if they do that, that's okay. Everyone thinks that's just my child. It doesn't matter if my child does or doesn't. But talk about the herd, uh, kind of the herd health and we need the numbers. And if we don't have the right amount of numbers, then we are dramatically less safe as a community, as a population. Um, Absolutely. Uh, In order for us to protect children who are unable to be immunized, which would be infants, people who are immunocompromised or have a low or a decreased functioning immune system, and pregnant women are at the highest risk for getting these diseases, and if you're not immunized, um, which some of these kids are unable to be immunized, then you're at even a greater risk to getting these diseases. And so the less people that are um, opting out of immunizations, the lower protection we have from herd immunity. Um, and that goes across the globe. So in order for us to um, protect everyone, we really do need to focus or help people who don't have access to immunizations get those because they're really, they really are just a plane right away. Right. Um, in fact, most of the cases of measles that we've seen have come from across the globe, people traveling into the country. And then we have people here who have opted out of immunizations, and usually it, it occurs in communities where you have high levels of um, people who have opted out. Um, those diseases are brought into those areas, and then we see outbreaks that occur and unfortunately, for those people who are depending on all of us who can be immunized to be immunized, it's not occurring anymore. So their children aren't safe. Um, you'll hear lots of stories of, of parents who have children who are immunocompromised who end up in the hospital with their child with whooping cough. Things even people, parents who consider diseases that are mild like chickenpox, um, their ch- children who are immunocompromised will end up hospitalized from diseases like that. Mm. So it really is our moral responsibility to immunize our children to protect the weakest in our communities. Yeah, it's amazing how we we get healthier together or we get we get less healthy together and then it's interesting also when we hear of the Zika virus and these other issues that we were so terrified as we saw them moving, you know, up from South America sent to Central America to uh, the United States, we were terrified of such a such a thing, and yet um, w- many are so willing to not even 
do the most basic uh, immunizations for some of these more basic issues. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's it's kind of interesting to see that the success of vaccines has actually kind of been counterproductive for us here in the U.S. because we've forgotten the severity yeah. of measles. We've forgotten the severity of polio. Um, and so it, it, it really is kind of, they've, vaccines are kind of a victim of their own success. Enlighten us about that, because what, so what do you see globally? When you look at a country that doesn't immunize or is barely, you know, able to, to fight this, what, what does an uh, outbreak of mumps or measles or even polio in, I guess, certain places, what does it look like? So in countries that don't have access to immunizations, What's really, what's really heartbreaking to me as a mom, many of these countries, they don't even name their children until they've reached one year of age because it is so common for these children to catch these diseases and die. Mm. Um, it's really difficult for these countries, these third world countries, to, to raise their children um, when there's, these diseases are prevalent. And so... Um, Usually, when you bring those vaccines into these countries, they are so grateful because they understand the importance of protecting their families and their communities against these diseases through immunizations. Is um, so. It's it's amazing that such basic diseases that we've been able to somewhat eradicate in the U.S., except for external, you know, visitors and travelers. Um, I guess, like you were saying, we, we're now falling prey to the, the great success. Many people don't even remember. My, my parents and their parents had this incredible fear of polio, you know, just taking someone down. And um, how do we instill and, and help actually, actually, I guess, reactivate those memories? So the memories of what this is about, or even just how do we get to better understand what's happening in other countries so we can appreciate our immunizations more? That is a conversation we have all the time in a lot of our immunization coalition meetings, um, in meetings with the Shot at Life uh, organization. How do we help people remember how important these vaccines are? Unfortunately, studies have shown that when you show pictures of children with these diseases, um, show pictures of <clears throat> communities that have been affected by these diseases, it actually causes um, anti-vaccine advocates to um, kind of put up a barrier. It, it, they, they block it out. They don't want to hear that. They don't really appreciate the scare tactics. Hmm. Um, and actually, you'll hear a lot of them say, that'll never happen. That's not you know, that's been taken care of. We don't need to worry about that anymore, um, which is actually really, really scary. Um, the fact that California was able to pass a law that doesn't allow parents to opt children out of immunizations, the only way they were able to pass that law was because of the measles outbreak in California. Hmm. And so it, what's really scary to me is what is it going to take for people to remember, is it going to take these diseases coming back? Is it going to take more and more outbreaks for, for people to remember how horrible this is? Um, I don't know, because showing pictures, educating, teaching them about the long-term consequences doesn't seem to be effective. Hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, again, we're pretty hard-headed, it seems like. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Lacey Eden, and uh, Lacey's an assistant teaching professor in the College of Nursing at BYU, serves as the chair of the Utah County Immunization Coalition, also is, um, uh, I guess, a member of Shot at Life, a United Nations foundation. We'll continue this discussion when we come back more on vaccinations. I walk through the streets and I realize that everything shines in a different way. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, diseases uh, around the world are killing those who don't have access to medicine and immunizations. And yet here in the United States, uh, complete access to immunizations. And yet um, now we're questioning if we should immunize. Certain groups are wondering if it's if it's worth it for the health of the whole um, because of, you know, concerns uh, because of reports many which have just not been substantiated, um, some which seem, I guess, legit, uh, but but still that not necessarily overwhelming evidence against the need for immunizations. Lacey Eden joins us. Lacey's an assistant teaching professor in the College of Nursing at BYU, serves as the chair of the Utah County Immunization Coalition, and uh, was just recently back in Washington, D.C., advocating shot at life for global immunizations. Lacey, thanks again for being with us. Thank you. Is um, when you when you talk about uh, kind of this movement, and you see in some countries they, they're not even able or willing to necessarily name their children for a year until they're through some of these potential sicknesses, um, and then and then you come back and you hear false information being spread about immunizations. What do you? What's your take? I mean, you're a medical professional. You're an expert. What do what do you think when you hear people spreading information on Facebook, on social media, that's just not true about immunization? Um, well, what I, what I think and what I know is that the studies that these um, people are claiming they have read and that are, they're basing their on are studies that are not done accurately. Um, they are studies that are, are not... Um, they haven't been published or not done by people who um, have followed through with IRB process. Um, they haven't followed the ethical steps that they need to follow in order to conduct these research, the research that they're looking at. Um, I also think that it's extremely frustrating as a healthcare provider to be able to try and teach these people who kind of have it ingrained in them. Um, there is no changing their mind for most of these people. Um, it's it's quite difficult. Mm. And it's, um, again, we talk on the show a lot about fake news, about, you know, um, the, the, the facts don't always matter. They don't always seem to matter, even though it could be life or death. Is that what you're trying to do with the shot at life? Uh, foundation. Talk about what is Shot at Life and, and why were you in Washington? Yeah, so Shot at Life is an amazing organization that works, that works with the 
United Nations and other organizations to bring immunizations to places where they don't have access across the globe. Um, and so I'm a shot at life champion and champions are just, are we're volunteers and they are from a lot of different walks of life. Um, people who are in Washington, DC with me, there were nurses, there were women's advocate groups, teachers, um, people who just heard of shot at life because they are so dependent upon the herd immunity because they are unable to be immunized. Um, there's a, a huge group of us that went up, went over to Washington, D.C., and we talked with um, the congressman about continuing um, the level funding for global immunizations. Um, because here in the United States, um, if we can keep that funding going, we will be able to eradicate polio. We are so close to that. We already have all of these systems in place. The infrastructure is in place to actually deliver these immunizations to these countries. Um, and so just continuing that funding is what we were advocating for in Washington, D.C. Which is interesting because, right, not to interrupt, but um, because President Trump keeps talking about lowering the budgets in the State Department and in other you know, foreign aid. And that could, I guess, eventually impact foreign global uh, work on vaccinations. Yes, it was incredible timing for us to be there with his. We were actually there at the same time that he gave his report on um, on his <clears throat> finance, his financial report, what, how he was going to spend funding and where he was going to cut funding. And um, he talked about cutting funding for global support. And um, he says that. But when we talked, a lot of the congressmen that we talked to all, at least for us and the people that we discussed this with, they are very much in favor of um, global health initiatives, especially immunizations. They see the importance of continuing this work, um, especially being so close to eradicating polio. But not only just that, all the other diseases that we're, we're working so closely with these countries to help protect these children across the world. Because when you have villages of people that are dying from diseases, you're creating instability. And for us to be able to give them this this route to get these immunizations and protect their health helps to create stability. When you think about, you know, village leaders dying from diseases or parents dying from diseases or their children dying from diseases, it creates um, kind of a, a, an area of chaos. Yeah. Um, so, so not only are we protecting their health, but we're creating it creating more stability in these communities that need it so badly. Where, where, a couple things, where can we go um, to get more accurate information on immunization? So if there are parents out there listening and they're thinking, I'm not sure, you know, because it's so backed by Big Farm and they're making $25 billion a year with goals to make $100 billion on immunizations. Because it's so money-driven, where can I go to get accurate information on what the real data shows? So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, they, they have a great website. Again, that's government-based. So right. if, if you are someone who doesn't want to go to a government-based website, um, there is the – what I really like, CHOP, the Children's Hospital um, of Pennsylvania. I think that's what it's called. They, they have great resources there. Um, all of the immunization coalitions in Utah, 
they have websites that have links to different um, resources that you can look at. And one of the things that I really, I, I really like is the immunizationactioncoalition.org. They have some great um, information there, as well as the American Academy of Pediatrics. Wow. So I mean, there's resources. Really, there's a lot yeah. of different links online that have great resources. Well, and it's funny, and yet many people would still rather just follow that one Facebook post um, to some shady or pseudo-scientific research when you could also still go to the CDC and all of these other places um, to get some, some actual data. You also talk about a, a, something your organization is doing called Get a Shot, Give a Shot. Yes, that is through Walgreens. Um, if you, they've par- also partnered with Shot at Life, um, and so what they've done is, if you get a shot there, then they will donate a shot, a global vaccine. Oh, see, and it's they, an incredible. That's, that's great. Yeah, so it, you, it's an incredible initiative. So, just as we wrap this up, Lacey, we need to be more informed. It sounds like we need to we need to think deeper than just the social media post. We we um, we need to we need to imagine a world that used to be where I mean where we could actually eradicate eradicate polio with just a little more focus a little more completion of the kind of the herd immunity um, and imagine that if if this if we start backsliding on this we could eventually get to a place where we see. Seriously, just the sadness of the loss of a child for a disease that was almost eradicated. Right, and I would it, I would encourage everyone who is listening today to be a part of, be proactive, um, combat those social media posts, the anti-vaccine posts, combat that with accurate information, post good information on immunizations. Um, social media is such a huge drive right now in in <clears throat> information, and so being a, being one of those people who is an advocate for immunizations, we need to combat combat that um, with good information. And then also, I would encourage everybody to become a Shot at Life champion. It's really easy. You just go online to shotatlife.org and you um, look at their champion page. It takes 30 minutes to join. I mean, it's just a volunteer thing, and so anything that you can do to help promote immunizations instead of just being, you know, all of us getting our immunizations and doing that, we need to take it a step further and advocate for it. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. Lacey Eden, thank you so much for your time and all of your work. Uh, Everybody, you can go look at shotatlife.org and uh, continue, continue to study the issue. It's about your health, right? It's about your community's health as well. Imagine the the idea that you wouldn't name a child for a year simply because you don't know if they're going to be sick and die. That's what happens to countries that don't immunize. And uh, I think the numbers are pretty clear that it works. It works, right? How many people do you know with polio in the United States? Stick with us, folks. Interesting discussion. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find and be the good in the world. Give it up now for the House of Bows. Welcome to her house. She is looking about. She is here to break down things you didn't know now. 
Welcome back, folks. McKenna Baus is in the house. We call her the mind bender. She tries to uh, bring us ideas that make us think, hmm, make us go, hmm. McKenna, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, you've, you're going to take on a really uh, popular topic. I am. Emotional intelligence. Yeah, it's sort of one of those, I guess, like hot button words. You know, oh, yeah. You hear it a lot nowadays, and it's something that you know people are always saying we need to develop more of. Right. We need to, you need to know your emotions, exactly. manage your emotions. Be able to understand other people, develop yeah. that empathy that uh-huh. comes along with it. And they talk about how it can benefit so many different aspects of your life. You can yeah. do better, you know, at work, in your relationships, everything. Yeah. You're happier. It's better than IQ. It's more important long term than your in the, than any other form of intelligence. Correct. But Except what? It has a catch. What? Recent studies were conducted and caveat as I go, this were done specifically with man, uh, men. So oh, yeah. So it, Maybe doesn't apply for women. We don't know. But the higher your emotional intelligence, the higher levels of cortisol that your body produces, which is the stress. stress. Yeah. Exactly. Stress hormone. And not only that, but people with higher levels of emotional intelligence have a harder time returning to a normal state and level of cortisol production after they've been exposed to stressful circumstances. See, okay, so this is what I've always thought. You don't want your um, black ops, you know, special forces marine mm-hmm. to be a highly emotionally intelligent person. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't want them empathizing with the enemy. You don't want that. You want them to just kind of go in there coldly, take the shot and then not think much more about it and move on and then take the next shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. But. Because, but then it seems like there's certain people you need to be more emotionally intelligent, like maybe the United Nations leaders, maybe uh, a doctor, the, the perhaps, State Department, state. a doctor, the nurses, everyone else. We kind of would want them to actually feel our pain. Yeah, and so it's really interesting because there's definitely this balance yeah. that has to be found, and I think it's maybe important to take into consideration, you know. What fields do you want to go into? What kind of environments are you going to be exposing yourself to through your career, through just the general way you live your life? Mm. And based on that, say, okay, should I be trying to develop more emotional intelligence or do I need to learn maybe how to compartmentalize a little better? Don't you think – I think we'll find out if they – when they research it more that people that are more highly emotionally intelligent probably are suffering more PTSD. I would not be surprised by that. Because they've internalized so deeply the war. Yeah. And then there's others. I mean, I, we see it. My, there's, I, I always just call them the jocks, but the guys that, that can just not worry about anything. Th- anything. <laughs> I mean, it's, what a gift, honestly. But then you miss parts of life. Mm-hmm. But also you don't have to emotionally stay up all night wondering if someone was offended by what you said. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I know like I some of my most compassionate friends are, you know, the friends who maybe deal with some of the greater, you know, anxiety yeah. in their life or oftentimes the people who tend to seem to be struggling with things about themselves. And I mean, that's something that we tend to know. People who go through trials tend to be able to sympathize, right. empathize with others better. But, you know, this le- points to the fact that it may be more biological yeah. um, than we initially thought. 
That's I, I think because you brought up cortisol. It's about it's about stress management yeah, and, and chemistry management. Exactly. Um, wow, that's interesting. Again, something that we know is good. Like, and where they usually bring up emotional intelligence is in families, marriages, relationships, work. Mm-hmm. But this is important to know that you know there's not a silver bullet. Yeah, you gotta be smart about yeah. and, your emotions. And, and everyone's different, in a lot of right? Ways. Yeah. Yeah. McKenna Bouse is her name. Bouse in the house. She's the mind bender. She comes in, blows our mind every time. Thanks, McKenna. Well done. We'll take a break, folks. It's the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's the House of Bouse. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Mario Day and International Bagpipe Day. Two of my favorite days. Also, today, Day of Awesomeness. It's the day you just get to be awesome. Hey, you're good at this. Thanks. I can't tell you how many times I've heard these sounds. This is, my kids played this all the time. This is back when you couldn't save the progress of your game. (laughs) So you just had to press pause and turn the TV off. McKenna loves this game. Uh, I, you know what? I didn't, I wasn't big into this. Really? Its predecessor, Donkey Kong, that was me. Pac-Man, those, that was my day. Interesting. Yeah. So games with where they're just full of annoying sounds. Yeah. Usually, when I grew up, all you needed was a ball, you know, and you just played ball. You're talking about Pong, where the ball is going no, between the like two? I'm talking about like baseball, football, I, I'm not, basketball, you're soccer. Talking about, you're talking about going outside. What? When we would smell the fresh-cut grass. What are you... We would run, we'd play, we'd pick up dirt, and we'd rub it on our sores. And this is reality. This was life. Oh. Yeah. Okay. This was where you really only watch TV, really, at uh, in the morning, because that's when cartoons were maybe on. Um, other than that, it was soap operas. And that, you're not watching that. That's a lot of kissing people. What was your favorite soap? Uh, Days of Our Lives. Oh, mine was Dove. He's, it's like he's a, a day late and a dollar short every time, Terry. Have you noticed that? Yes. <laughs> what was your favorite soap? Dove. Dove. It's a great soap. Um, I also like General Hospital. Luke and Lara. My sister was totally, totally in love with Luke and Lara. We got uh, we got a lot going on back then. We used to use our imagination. We what's, used to, what's that? We used to run wild. And, the graphics aren't as good. No. Yeah. They're actually better. Mm. We used to ride our bikes. Do you remember? You guys may not remember this. Bicycles? Nah. But like we would ride them everywhere. And you my, mean like a moped? Like my kids sit there and say, I, I couldn't go to my friend's house because you weren't here. Yeah. And I'd be like, what? Get on your bike. You see those little, see those two little sticks that roll out of your hips? Use them. Start walking, dude. Makes me mad. Mm. Now they can't do it. They've got they've got scooters. They've got everything you need. Where did they get all those? Their mother mm. drives me crazy. Sounds like there's some, some enabling enabling going on there, right? Yeah, I don't want to go there with her. Well, I'm just just trying to say. Yeah, yeah. 
But what's funny is my in words. my day, we would ride miles on bikes to get somewhere. Yeah. You were never impeded by not having a car because you always had your bike. And you would use your bike even until you were like 18, 19, 20. You'd just get on your bike. Well, now your parents don't let you go anywhere without uh, them knowing where you are. Like you have to call them when you right. get to your friend's house. When you're on your way back, you have to call them. What is our deal? You have to wake them up when you get home. <sighs> it's a tough time. It's a tough day. It's a tough age. Uh, we got to get into this. Well, we got a lot to cover today. Um, we're also going to go live with Shik Shumway. Uh, we'll do it in a minute, but I'm worried about it. Shik was involved in an accident uh, earlier in the week. Car fell on him. Uh, he has his, his jaw has been wired shut, and he's still going to keep working for some reason. I need to say this. You said it yourself. You were about 100% sure that he should have died. Oh, yeah. So there, should, yeah. it means that there's a, a reason that he's still here with us. He's here to fulfill some purpose. Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or I mean, maybe it's a purpose for some, someone else. Maybe his family. Maybe not us, you know. Maybe it's not about us on this one. Maybe it's about his kids. Does he have kids? You're a monster. <laughs> Just, I don't know. Schick as uh, our roving reporter. Heavy on the rove, light on the report. Uh, we'll get to uh, Schick in a minute from the International Bagpipe uh, Celebration. Also, um, we've got a lot of empty news we'll be covering. And really, more importantly, we're going to look at um, suicide prevention. And some work they're doing, a rally uh, for recovery, a neurological look at suicide. Is something going on differently in a person's brain that uh, is looking to, su- to looking to suicide? We'll be, we'll be getting into that discussion. Um, interesting, very interesting as um, it is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, suicide is, especially with the economy. And now more and more liberals are just on the verge of ending it all because of the craziness they think of Donald Trump. Uh, So let's get to the headlines, find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Terry, what's up? The rollout of the new health care law to replace Obamacare has produced, quote, a lot of frustration among conservatives and a lot of confusion. This is from House Speaker Paul Ryan. You saw his uh, sort of press conference slash TED Talk slash PowerPoint presentation he gave on the health care plan yesterday. Took off his jacket, rolled up his sleeves, got to work. And gave this whole presentation. He mentioned several times, this is as good as it get, as it gets. This is the closest we've been to repealing and replacing Obamacare. It's getting close. Right? So he's really trying yeah, to get that message right there. out. Now, we talked the other day. There are six pages in this 66-page document that they originally put out dealing with lottery winners and Medicaid. Yeah. And trying to figure out a way to keep these people from using fraud or whatever fraudulent means to, to obtain health care that way. The Guardian went through and tried to figure out how many people are we talking about? How many lottery winners are using public health the public health system? <laughs> Seven. So they, they found out how many lottery winners, found out the odds and the yeah, yeah. percentage of the population, the percentage of the population that use the Affordable Care Act. And it came down to, uh, this entry says that the uh, what, 18... Point nine out of every – so 18 out of every 100 people are using the Affordable Care Act is kind of right. roughly – 18 out of 100. That's what they're saying. Okay. And the Powerball jackpots, yeah. the, the likelihood you're going to win that, 8 in 1 million. Oh, that's different. Yeah, that, yeah, those are 
Yeah. Those aren't good odds. So to find out the chances of having public health insurance and being a jackpot, jackpot winner is roughly 0.189 multiplied by whatever. That gives you a – so the odds are infantile. Basically what they're saying, there's about 377 adults – that meet both criteria of being a lottery winner. 377 adults in the United States. In the United States that are lottery winners and using, say, Obamacare or something, yeah. Medicaid, that kind of thing. It seems like we could just not go to all the paperwork and just send, you know, some thug over to talk to him. Who knows? But that, that she, the, the, the author decided to figure that okay. out. I wanted to share the numbers oh, quickly. Crazy. President Trump vowed there would be an immediate end to the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. When he took office, but even as his other uh, hardline immigration measures move forward, his administration has still not touched the DACA program, which allows children who are brought to the U.S. to remain in the country and work. And it's it's kind of the dreamers, yeah, if you've yeah. heard of the dreamers before. Oh, and, yeah. And its preservation might come from a support of Trump's chief strategist, Steve Bannon. Bannon usually wins most battles, one White House insider told BuzzFeed News. Attorney General Jeff Sessions and senior policy advisor Stephen Miller both opposed the DACA, helping out the Dreamers. Bannon reportedly won out in the argument. BuzzFeed has learned that Bannon views the DACA, which tends to be viewed more favorably than many immigration policies, as a strategic asset in the coming immigration policy battles, a source familiar with his thinking said. Hmm. So he sees it as something that if we keep this on, maybe we can curry favor with some people as we try to push forward with our immigration agenda. Right, right. You know, everybody, uh, I think everybody keeps forgetting that Donald Trump won the presidency, even though for 18 months everybody thought he was a joke. Yeah. Now it seems like everybody thinks he's a joke and he doesn't know what he's doing, but he and Steve Bannon seem like they might have other plans. They can't just bulldoze everything. They yeah. have to do some negotiating give and take. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. This is crazy. The FBI's counterintelligence team is still looking into the potential ties between a Russian bank and the Trump organization, despite wide public dismissal of the possible connection several months ago. So this is from CNN. The same team that is looking into the Russian interference in the 2016 election is conducting the inquiry on the Trump company and a Russian financial firm, Alpha Bank's computer servers. Mm. Internet data allegedly shows last summer that the server owned by Alpha Bank accessed the contact information for a server used by the Trump organization thousands of times. The data shows that the server looked up that information so often that it represents 80% of all record lookups by that computer. Wow. According to experts, that activity could point to intent. Others are saying, yeah, it might just be smoke with so no fire. So is, is this what maybe the uh, – The wiretapping. The wiretapping, and maybe this is why they were – it was targeted toward the Trump building. Right. And it could be why uh, we James Clapper – I played the soundbite earlier Clap this week on. where he said – I have no knowledge. He was a former uh, yeah. director of intelligence. No knowledge. No of anything knowledge of what's going. I don't know. Targeting Trump, but another agency could be of could be going after this bank, and yeah. Trump gets caught up in the, in the data. And finally, for the first time, water might be lack, a lackluster hydration option, but it is inarguably a healthy one. Water is best. Water's best. Americans are finally cluing in. New research found for the first time in decades, people use water and drink water. More than they drink soda. I know. What this is going Street on Journal. with this world? I don't know why. The exact numbers, according to the Beverage Marketing Corporation, found the U.S. consumption of bottled water was 39 gallons per capita versus 38 gallons of soda per capita. So just barely, Whoa. but enough. Hold on. Is that per day? No, this is probably over a period of time. 
Yeah, I drink a lot more than that. Soda companies are still making 26% of bottled water revenue because yeah. Coke and Pepsi own major bottled companies. What about the day that you're not going to go to your tap anymore to get your water? You're going to have to go to Coca-Cola. Well, if you live in Flint, Michigan or certain areas where well, maybe fracking uh, is a concern and there's water. Alberta, right? Calgary's got pink water. The pink water. Which sounds fantastic. We have pink water in our in our uh, on tap here. Did you notice that? It's like pink lemonade though, right? Yeah, it's like pink uh, pomegranate, yeah. a kai berry something. Yeah, something. Dasani is Coke. Yeah. I don't even know if that's how you yeah. say it. Yeah. Dasani? <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah. Dasani. Hey, um, you know, we love Shik Shumway on the show. He's he's a he's a long loved uh incredible human being. And uh, I've I've been negative about him over the years because he he seems to be very proactive, gets to a lot of stories and then kind of leaves us hanging. But Jeff, isn't that what you want though? You want to be left wanting more? Well, I just want – usually he leaves me just wanting anything, you know. He's kind of bad at the reporting part. Right. Like he showed up to the inauguration, but he was a day early. And he showed up but to he, the, So he got you interviews that nobody else got. Right, with the sanitation dude that was dropping off the porta-potties. He, he also seemed to be about a month late on the launch of the new Star Wars movie. And do you remember? And he ended up – he thought that everyone was like camping out because they, they wanted to, to get to see the new movie and they weren't camping out. It was, it was homeless people that were just near a theater and he interviewed them. Well, and I think there was a new iPhone release or something. Yeah. People were lined up for that. He kind of misses a lot of stuff. And so for some reason, he happened to be on the scene of, a, of an accident where a, a teenager drove – hit the gas instead of the brake, drove off of – the seventh floor of a building crushed, crashed through a, a Home Depot or a, a hardware store. He was injured in the accident. He was there reporting something. And, Should have been killed. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to try to give him more of a shot. I'm sorry, but uh, we're, we're going to go Schick because it, it's International Bagpipe Day and Schick he loves himself a good bagpipe. He, um, he, was, he went to do a story there. And uh, he's still recuperating from his broken jaw. So, Schick, let's go to you now. Schick, my friend, how are you doing? I'd still be here live at the Red Vipers Convention 2017. As you can see, there's quite a bit of I'm not hearing what he's saying. On. And we're going to be getting alive. You're not coming in. You're not coming in clear. What, you know, let, let's, let's just cut him. Jump down. Yeah. That's, um, I don't. Thank you, Shik. Thank you for uh, your uh, perseverance. Thank you. Uh, we'll get back to you on that one, Shik. I think we're having some audio problems. Well, I think he was standing next to the bagpiper, and his you, you know mouth is wired, wired shut. So, well, you know, you got to give him an A for effort. You can't keep this man down. No, no, I no, really. I wish we could. We've tried, but the guy just keeps getting up. Wait, you didn't have anything to do with that card, did you? We're going to move on. Uh, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we will be talking about uh, the epidemic, the tenth leading cause of death in the United States, suicide, and to talk about the risk and uh, what we need to be paying attention to to watch out for those in most need. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. 
Welcome back to the program, folks. You know, suicide does not discriminate. People of all genders, ages, and ethnicities are at risk for suicide. The prevalent health problem is also one that is the most preventable, yet the numbers tell a different story. Each year, twice as many Americans die from suicide than murder. It is currently the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. So how can we prevent it? Here to talk about it is Dr. Jane Pearson and Caitlin Thomas, one of our producers. They both join us this morning to help us become a little more informed on the topic. Uh, a, a little background, Dr. Jane Pearson is a chair of the National Institute of Mental Health Suicide Research Consortium at the National Institute of Mental Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Caitlin Thomas is a producer for us here, a full-time student studying news media. She's been very passionate about spreading hope and comfort to those through awareness and education on mental health. And and uh, we, we welcome both of you. Dr. Pearson, Caitlin, thanks for being with us today. Sure. This is this is a big deal. And Dr. Pearson, one of the reasons I wanted uh, to, to have you on the show is, is to help us understand what's going on. Um, because in your opinion, why are there so many uh, people in society uh, opting for suicide? Is it more today than normal? What are you seeing in the numbers? Uh, there were reports out of the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they're the folks who look at the vital statistics records, the death records coming in, and they're the ones who calculate leading causes of death and the the rate of suicide. And in this country where there's about 43,000 people who die each year from suicide, and um, we c- calculate that because the population is pretty large compared to that 43 Fortunately, you know, yeah. the number's not as big as heart disease or cancer. But it, if you think about it as a preventable cause of death, um, it is a tragedy. When we look at the patterns of suicide over the past 15 years, the rate has slowly crept up mm. about 25%. And there's a goal from the National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to get those rates at least 25% back down again yeah. in the next 10 years. So that's what we're all trying to work on and um, mobilize around. Do you, do you think, um, Dr. Pearson, is it uh, – why do you think that they've crept up 25%? Was it the economy? What was it? it you know, <laughs> we'd love to know. And one of the challenges in studying suicide and in some ways what makes it so interesting intellectually but also points to why so many people need to play a role in prevention, is that there's different trajectories in suicide. What might lead a young American Indian teenager to suicide is very different than what maybe might lead an older white male Mm. to suicide, or somebody with a very chronic substance abuse problem, for example. But there's also some general connections. You mentioned um, the economy. We know things uh, happened in 2008, 2009. Fortunately, it didn't bump up as high as we thought it might, hmm. but it definitely was creeping up in those directions. And we know from certain states that rates went up around home foreclosures and other financial problems. So we, we do know that's a, a factor in it. But we also know mental health issues. It's usually a, a pile of things that get to people. It's usually just not one thing. Yeah. That, um, people over the edge. Well, yeah, and we and we saw opiate use going up uh, yeah. re- basically in the same time frame as well. That's right. Um, Caitlin, what about you? You're a college student, mm-hmm. 20-something, young, vibrant woman. <laughs> why why are you so um, 
so such a strong advocate about suicide prevention and and how come this has struck you so hard? Well, yeah. So I think a lot of people I think that's a great I get that question a lot because a lot of people think you know, like, why, why is this something that matters to you? It is kind of a heavy topic. But while I was um, a couple years ago, I was out of the country serving um, a volunteer service mission for, for my church. And I was, you know, had very limited contact with my family. But while I was there, I found out that my younger sibling was struggling with depression and anxiety, both combined at the same time, plus um, large amounts of bullying that had just gone on throughout her life. And she actually attempted suicide while I was gone. Mm. And I mean, I'm really close with my family, and so this struck me really hard because it's almost like you don't feel like it's real until it hits you personally. Yeah. And I think that that's why for so long this went untalked about because people, A, were afraid to talk about it, but B, because, you know, if it didn't affect them personally, it felt, you know, it wasn't it's not it was my so issue. far out there. Yeah. yeah, I don't need to worry about this. It'll never affect me. And then it affected my family, and I realized there are hundreds and hundreds of families around the world, but specifically throughout the United States, that are affected by this every single day, um, whether it's an attempt or somebody that actually, you know, dies by suicide in a family. Like, it doesn't just affect that person. It affects everybody around them. It's a ticking time bomb, you know. And so when I came home and I made it back to the United States, I decided that I wanted to, you know, make this cause a part of my life. I wanted to fight for this cause. I wanted to help people and help bring hope because hope is what's really going to fight this dark battle. Yeah. We need more information. We need to understand it yeah, better. And, and parents and people in general do, like Dr. Pearson said, just need to understand what she's talking about. This research you need to understand that it is a problem and that we all play a role in preventing suicide. 43,000 people from something that's preventable. Yeah. That's a big number. And so, but we all p- play a role. And, and again, we, it, it doesn't get as much attention in the press, it seems like because the press try to you know be very careful about how they talk about it. True. But Dr. Pearson, one of the things I know you as a neurologist are looking at is is there a neurological component? Is there something about our brain, or um, is there something going on in the brain that might be that might be you know causing or driving or impacting a person's desire or will to to live? Sure. Um, So I'm a psychologist, not a neurologist, but where I work at the National Institute of Mental Health, we do look at um, the biological bases of um, different types of mental health problems. And our approaches to this, people get diagnosed with depression, anxiety, you know, psychosis or schizophrenia. What we're trying to do now is those diagnoses came up from um, an approach that just said, here's a cluster of symptoms we can observe but that doesn't really help us always understand what's going on in the brain. Right. So right now we're interested in um, a number of areas. We're looking at genetics, but that's um, there are no single genes that say you're going to feel this way or have this problem or even die by suicide. It's probably a cluster of things, and there's also a process within the body that might be you know an immune response. If you've got listeners who've had allergies, you know you often feel depressed when yeah. you have your allergies. Or when you've got a cold or the flu and, you know, everything just drags down. We're really interested in what some of those, you know, driving things are that are affecting how you think. And um, as Kayla mentioned, I think that hope piece is really important. It's important to understand as awful as you might feel, there is hope. There is some kind of treatment that can help you. So a message that's really important for the media to get across, like you all today yeah. and 
um, what we can do is that you can get help. There's um, 24-hour crisis lines everywhere. There's a text line that you can use. It's 741741, and you can just text home to that, and you'll be connected to somebody who can start chatting with you. One of the most important things in suicide prevention is helping people buy some time to recover. Mm. So if you're feeling really sick, if you've had the flu and you, you have this feeling like, oh, am I ever going to get over this? And you have some you have some recognition that, yeah, I'm going to get better, but right now it doesn't feel like that. You know, just magnify that many, many times. And that's, the, that's what's going through somebody's head who's thinking about suicide. It's not that they're crazy per se. They just feel in so much pain and so hopeless. So buying that time, getting them some help is really important. So one of the things you could do is put in the 741-741 number in your phone so it's ready to go. Ah, there you go. And there's also a national lifeline. What's that? Uh, 1-800-273-TALK. And since most of us don't have digits connected to letters, it's 8255. 1-800-273-8255. And you'll be connected to somebody. And they'll start asking you questions like, you know, what brought you to this point? What do you think you could do? If you're concerned about somebody else, you can call um, on behalf of that person and see how you can get them help. Oh, that's great. And even, yeah, and and either get them help or, you know, maybe get to a point where you can hand the phone over. That's right. I mean, this uh, really, it's interesting. You buy some time. I've seen people in severe, severe depressive states that that literally we called the police and they got there and took them into their custody and got them the help. And in time, they just, I mean, relatively quickly time, they were able to get balanced and healthy and, and would never want to think those thoughts. But I guess if we can get them some time in your research, Dr. Pearson, do you see that um, – is this is it disproportionate? Because I hear a lot of uh, stories about youth, about teens, about those seem to be the ones that I, I guess get more play in the media as well. Um, is is it disproportionately younger people going through this? In terms of reports of depression, there's the the number of teens and um, young adults reporting more. Reporting depressive symptoms and enough symptoms that we would say you really do need to get treated. It's it's to a point where you know this is serious. Those rates unfortunately have been going up, so we are concerned about that. The suicide rates have also climbed a little bit, but fortunately for um, young people, the numbers are lower. Even though it's the second leading cause of death, young people don't die from things typically, so right, it doesn't right. take much to become a leading cause of death. That's um, true. So. But we are very concerned about this, and so we're actually looking at colleges and schools saying, what kinds of things can we teach people about how to manage stress? We know from the college, the national college surveys that go out, like up to 40% of students will say, there has been stress in my life that's so hard that it makes it difficult to do my college work. Mm. Um, anxiety symptoms, 20% of people say this. 20% have sleep problems. So part of, um, you know, we think about transitions and the demands of your context, you know, new parents. Most of the times of high depression, high stress are periods of transition or, you know, exam time. Yeah. So if you can help prepare yourself and thinking about how am I going to get through this? And, you know, we have to face stress all the time, but it's really learning how to manage the stress. Well, I guess that's what the younger we are, the you know, the less experience, the less opportunity we've had. Caitlin brought up an interesting point, Caitlin, about your sister 
that there was also other stressors like bullying. Um, mm-hmm. There's some weird changes going on, chemical changes in a, in a young person's body, but also trying to identify who they are, figure out their identity. Right. Um, do, do you see what, – what do you see out there as far as stigmas and other things impacting the younger generation? Well, so the time that I spent, um, like Matt likes to talk about, I spent a year serving as Miss Lehigh, and this was my platform. And so I spent that whole year working specifically around youth in my community. And what I found just from talking to them and, you know, from trainings and and whatnot is there's much more stress on young kids today to figure out who they are, like you were saying, because they're constantly absorbing the successes of other people through looking on their phones, through social media, which for a lot of adults, it, it that might just be, oh, well, that's great. My neighbor has bought a new house. That's fantastic. But for a young kid who doesn't quite have this grasp yet on who they are, yeah. sees other people around them who are posting that they supposedly know who they are, even though that's probably not completely true. Um, so for someone who's already suffering from depression or anxiety chemically in their head, that just adds another level of stress and adds another level of anxiety, um, you know, to them. And then you add, that was my little sister's experience. And then she was also severely bullied, Mm. um, for, for a a couple different reasons. But the main one that really affected her as a young girl was for her weight. And these kids sometimes don't realize that what, how their words impact another person. Um, and, and in her case impacted her really strongly because of the depression and the anxiety that she was also dealing with at the time that my family hadn't been educated on. Yeah. Looking back, we know now we can look back and say, you know what? We probably have a lot of people throughout our family history that suffered, but they didn't have any way to know that there was no diagnosis. There was no people to talk to, Mm -hmm. um, which is great that we have all that stuff now, but there's still that stigma where she didn't feel like she could tell my parents what she was really thinking for fear of either disappointing them or, you know, worrying them or, or people just looking at her and saying, you know, oh, well, you just want attention because you do hear that a lot from yeah. kids who reach out. You're just trying to get attention. And oh. So so there's it's 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 tricky. You know, what do these kids do? They're trying to figure out who they are. They feel really insecure. They feel very unsure about their future. Um, and then they you, you add this level of, of social media and online interaction and then you, you you know, and then the stigmas where you're crazy or you like Dr. Pearson said, where they they're not. They're not crazy, and that word that word gets thrown around a lot. But they really are suffering in a way that we can't see. Like she said, when someone has the flu, you can yeah, they're see in that, that. funk. There's an, yeah, there's an outward physical manifestation of that. Whereas mental health, there's not always those physical manifestations um, that necessarily someone suffering from depression. There are signs, but but so I think that makes it really tricky for them to even feel like they want to to reach out and 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 help. So that's that's part of what I want to do, and what I know that. Being on air, Dr. Pearson, what talking about this does is it helps alleviate some of those stresses and those stigmas and the hope that these kids will reach out. That's why we're doing it. Um, Let's take a break. When we come back, continue this discussion. You know, if we're not talking about it, we're not going to be finding the solutions. Uh, Remember, you can call or text 741-741. If you text HOME, um, then you'll immediately be connected and talking and texting with uh, an expert that can help you at a, on a suicide texting line uh, to help you through that. Also, 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. A great um, uh, resource as well if you are struggling with thoughts of suicide. We'll come back more with Dr. Jane Pearson from the National Institute of Mental Health Suicide Research Consortium and our own Caitlin Thomas. Stick with us, folks. Helping you be and live the good in the world. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, suicide and really what we need to know about it. Um, There's a lot of interesting research going on about neurologically what's taking place in the brain for many uh, that, that might fall into that. That overwhelming, like a wave, like a wave of emotion, a wave of chemistry that just pulls them down, pulls them down. And then, you know, the idea of fighting for your life no longer seems to be the fight you want to make. Joining us is Dr. Jane Pearson. She is the chair of the National Institute of Mental Health Suicide Research Consortium. And uh, she uh, is a psychologist. Also joining us is our own Caitlin Thomas, a producer here at Brigham Young University, who um, when she was royalty of Miss Lehigh, (laughs) this was part of your issue, what you went door to door basically fighting. Um, Dr. Pearson, I wanted to ask you about about this, like as parents and neighbors and and people, we don't we don't know necessarily what to look for. Sure. Um, and like uh, Caitlin was talking about earlier, that a lot of times we misconstrue that this is just a you know person that's you know they just need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They, they they're just seeking attention. Help us blow up some of those myths, if you would. Sure. So the comment about you know somebody just is this um, somebody trying to get attention? I would say yes, and for a good reason. Right. If you're talking about you know being suicidal, even though perhaps you've got a sense that would this person really do it? You don't want to be in that position guessing. You want, obviously, the person is in some distress. So it's actually better to try to help somebody earlier in this trajectory of them getting to this decision of wanting to kill themselves. The sooner you can get to them, the better. It's easier to turn that around because it's not as severe. So it's good to ask somebody what's bothering them, why do they say that, what's happening, not to be afraid of it. And just ask them, being there with them enough and saying, let's see how we could get you some help is the most important thing. And if you don't know how, that's where those phone numbers and texting can come in. It's In a school setting, it's really important to find, help kids think that they have some trusted adults they can always go to. If it's a school nurse or a particular coach or a teacher they rely on. Because if you go to other kids, those kids don't know the best place to go. We have research showing that kids go to websites or places that are not helpful. So, And they often... <laughs> They're, they're the same kids going to the same bad places. So yeah. you really want to get somebody who understands this and can get you help. In terms of family members, um, yeah, you know, adolescence has a lot of angst. There's a lot of um, challenges controlling your emotions and trying to figure out what's, you know, how far up up is good and how far down down <laughs> is still tolerable. But when it starts interfering, when you've got kids crying, um it's time to sit down and think, okay, what can we do to help you kind of regulate this a little bit more, not have such extremes? Let's think about this. And it might be some strategies to help you cope. It might be getting off social media for a while. It might be, you know, finding a trusted adult that some of these kids can talk to if it's not within the family. Mm. So it's really good to just kind of nip it in the bud if you can, um, because the more it starts rolling and getting into a pattern, it is kind of hard to extract yourself and we know with kids, it's really hard to shift social groups. But sometimes you need to diversify your social group. So you've got people who are stronger and can help you, yeah. as well as maybe some of these kids you feel some loyalty to. Boy, it's it's interesting, yeah, because you could be trying to help uh, somebody. I know somebody um, who was spending so much time with a friend that was really, I think, in, in, in major mental distress – that she herself became 
mentally right. distressed and it ended – because she just didn't have the skill set, the tool set to pull herself and this other person out. That's right. That's a really good point. That happens a lot with adolescent girls. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> like a over empathy and then they start taking on some of the extra drama. So it, and, you know, some of this is really hard to regulate. You mentioned, you know, horm- hormones are really shifting. Yeah. But at the same time, it's really good to say, okay, we recognize this, so now we really do need some skills to help you kind of take a break from this, take care of yourself too, and let's try to get the right people helping um, the kids who can really make a difference. It's good to listen, but you also have to take a break. You have to take a break. One of the things I've noticed um, working with clients is a lot of times there's a genetic issue and, and – or, I mean, there's, there might be already anxiety in the family or there might be a, te- a tendency – for some to have depression in the family and but how many of us actually don't even pay attention to our own you know genetic family mental health patterns you know and then all of a sudden we're all shocked that our child is depressed even though I went through a bout of depression grandma went through bouts of depression uncle Larry killed himself committed suicide because of depression three family members are uh, you know, drinking because of other issues. I mean, it's. Do you see that that there is there a family genetic uh, mental health conversation we need to have? Well, the literature is pretty strong showing that, and it's usually uh, an interaction between the the family genetic loading and then stressful life events. Right situation, yeah. Right, but it it's like anything else. If you had a history of heart disease. Um, and, you're ta- and, you know, you, you talk to your doctor about this all the time, and this is something we're trying to work on in terms of helping doctors talk about your mental health risk as well as your physical health risk. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, what are you doing to help prevent this? And some of the things in terms of general health do help with mental health, regular exercise, good diet, but some, you know, taking inventory of how, how diversified is your social network? Are you getting, you know, positive feedback from friends, just not the social comparison? I think is a good way to think about how diversified am I yeah. in my portfolio. It's, it's, you need to have a, a diversified portfolio just like your 401k. <laughs> you really do mental health-wise. And, Caitlin, you were talking about with your own family, um, how, did, how did your sister's issues, how did it shift the whole family dynamic? How did it shift the discussion of mental health? and the discussion of, um, you know, the the importance of each other. Well, it was interesting because before, I think, looking back, I could see even in my own life, like I can look at myself and be like, wow, mom, I, and I've since then been diagnosed with this situational anxiety where, you know, I've got different traits, you know, that that were definitely in that, in that line. Um, But since my little sister had, had this huge thing happen, all of a sudden my family realized that, specifically my dad, he just really struggled with talking Mm. about this, you know, because he grew up in the, you know, grit your teeth, you tough it out, you go to work, you do what you need to do. Um, So it was really hard for him to understand that there could be, you know, not just, it's not just an emotional girl thing, but that this is a mental chemical thing. Um, But really this opened our family's eyes to be able to look at each other in a new light. Now, all of a sudden my mom can look at herself and say, oh, well, I've, you know, we found depression running on her side of the family, um, and we found depression and anxiety running through also my dad's side of the family. And now it's not just my immediate family, but my whole extended family is able to talk about this in a way that doesn't um, necessarily isolate one person in the family into right. a corner. 
you know, and it's not just, you know, my great grandma, for example, my mom's grandma, um, after she had kids postpartum, really bad and she never came out of it. And we're looking back at that saying, oh my gosh, this makes sense now. Now we can look at each other and say, how can, now we can talk about it. And instead of just looking at someone and say, stop, stop being dramatic or come on, like that's not, grow up. Yeah, stop being so mean. Like we can look at each other and say, hey, how are you feeling today? Have you felt triggered? Is something triggering you in your life? And, and then all of a sudden that family member feels, can address the situation too and say, you know what? Yes, this triggers me or this, this is making me feel, you know, whatever. And so now it's a much more comfortable environment. And that's the kind of environment that I want to help other families create. And parents now, when they sit down and talk about, you know, you talk about your kids about, um, you know, drinking alcohol yeah. and doing drugs and how to say no and yep. or, or how to stay healthy and, and sex yeah. and, and even just, you know, going through puberty, all these things. Now we also need to talk about our kids about, okay, well, this is depression. This is anxiety. These are the warning signs. If you start to feel this mm-hmm. way, um, this is what you can do. This is where you can go. That's a discussion that also needs to be happening between parents uh, and children. I totally agree. Dr. Pearson, um, it seems like the media, we're talking more and more and more about mental health, maybe in a way at a level we haven't done in previous years do you see do you see it do you see a benefit yet are we are we ahead of the curve here are we still way behind the curve i think more people have access to mental health services and part of that's been you know as states have shifted to address parity laws and so on and um the the whole <laughs> Our whole healthcare system is a little bit in flux right now. <laughs> oh yeah, but, um, oh yeah. I would say, in general, you know, th- there has been an uptake. Some of the initial research showed that um, as states shifted over to more equal funding of mental health services as well as regular health services, there was a, a decrease in suicide rates initially, but then they crept up again. So one of the things we want to do is make sure that our healthcare providers can actually um, talk to people who have mental health issues, and we kind of alluded to this with the primary care provider. If somebody says they're suicidal to their, you know, primary care doc, you know, the chances are that that person knows how to handle that well are still not great. Right. So we're trying to get um, more of a team approach and get behavioral health more integrated into regular health care. So maybe they don't have the time to sit and talk to you and find more about that, but maybe there's a psychiatric nurse or a social worker or they can refer you somebody through telehealth or something where you can start having that conversation and really um, kind of drill down on what what the issues are and get some help sooner than later. We do know a lot of people who've died by suicide have access to health care, but they've been missed in the system. So we're very interested in system approaches, and this can be school systems, colleges, healthcare settings. We've worked with the military. The Veterans Administration is working very hard to change their numbers, too. Man, I had a client in my office tell me he's having those thoughts and he's done. We immediately called his wife. His wife came and picked him up. I challenged him to go right to the hospital. He went to an emergency room. They took him into the emergency room. I was so sure that when you walk into the emergency room telling them you want to kill yourself that he would be helped. And I got a call about two hours later saying that he was released from the hospital with a diagnosis that he just needs more sleep, and they gave him sleeping pills. Oh, dear. And they're like, now what do we do? (laughs) And I'm like, are you kidding me? I thought for sure. But he sat with a psychologist there, and they just said, yeah, you just need more sleep. So we're actually working on that research right now because 
people in emergency settings, the providers, you know, they're used to turning things around in 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, again, you know, thinking, having mental health issues is not usually a 10-minute solution. It never is, is it? <laughs> not that I'm aware of. No. So you really have to think about how to start making those linkages. Yeah. So we're actually talking to, you know, the, the societies that the um, emergency physicians belong to, the emergency nurses, the social workers, saying, okay, we understand there's not a lot of time here, but how do we make those connections, like I was mentioning? Is there a way that you could call that crisis line while you're sitting there, oh. at least if you're waiting for an appointment with a mental health specialist later, you can still make this contact with this hotline mm-hmm. in the meantime. I think it's great. I mean, it really is. It's, it's an answer, isn't it, Dr. Pearson? We appreciate you. Uh, thank you, Caitlin, as well. Dr. Jane Pearson, Caitlin Thomas, it's important stuff. The numbers again, 741-741. That's the text line if you need to text. If you're going through uh, suicidal thoughts and you need some help immediately, 741-741 or 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-8255 is a hotline where you can get some help with those, uh, you know, walking through the process of, of trying to just find peace in your life. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. You know, there have been a lot of different labels for all different walks of people. Have you ever heard of a hipster? It's a term that's been thrown around a lot in recent years, but what does it even mean? Our producer, Leanna Tan, will teach us a little more about hipsters. One time I was riding in the car with my friend, and he said, You're so hipster. What? No, I'm not. And then he said, That's exactly what hipsters say. Then he spent like the next half hour trying to convince me that I'm hipster. But I refused to believe it. But then... I looked up the definition on Urban Dictionary, and it says, Hipsters are a subculture of men and women, typically in their 20s and 30s, that value independent thinking, counterculture, progressive politics, an appreciation of art and indie rock, creativity, intelligence, and witty banter. Huh. Interesting. I value independent thinking and appreciate creativity. And I love witty banter. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe... Was he right? So I started researching it more and more. I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was like I was reading the WebMD for hipster syndrome, and I had so many symptoms. It couldn't be true. But then I looked down at my outfit, and sure enough, I was wearing a flannel shirt, ankle boots, and had a beanie in my bag. (sighs) I think it's plaguing society. So I've come to warn you all. Here are five symptoms of being a hipster you could have without even realizing it. I drink out of jars. I researched this article, How to Know if You're a Hipster, and it says hipsters love the classic feel and look of mason jars and the millions of crafts that can be done with them. They're all about reusing, recycling, and reducing waste. I confess, I do it every day. In fact, I have a jar of homemade cauliflower soup waiting for me in the fridge this very moment. I mean, they're just so eco-friendly and cheap and spill-proof. Actually, we have an entire drawer filled with empty glass jars and windowsill lined with glass bottles at my house. What have I done? I like writing. WikiHow's How to Be a Hipster article says, Hipsters tend to be well-educated in such areas as liberal arts. Hipsters are a subculture that uses more of their right brain than the rest of society. Thus, many hipsters base their career choices around a natural outlet for the hipster's creativity. Yeah, I've taken lots of creative writing classes and was even in a poetry club once. 
I didn't think much of it at the time, but now I see it. I started out studying English and then ended up in communications and studying issues like global poverty on the side. Who would have thought? I'm not up to date with pop culture and never know any lyrics on the radio. Urban Dictionary says hipsters pretend not to like everything and anything in pop culture from the 1920s to now, and they tend to like indie bands. But it's not that I don't like pop culture. It's honestly just me being completely oblivious to the majority of the world. I've gotten pretty good at making up lyrics and mumbling my way through songs. And plus, indie songs are just so relaxing. I love thrift stores. I think like 90% of my wardrobe is secondhand stuff. And then I thrift my thrift clothes. Again, it just seems like the most economic decision. And plus, then you're not wearing the same shirt as every other person in your class, and you can have your own individual style. Wait, what am I saying? This says, Hipsters reject the culturally ignorant attitudes of mainstream consumers and are often seen wearing vintage and thrift store-inspired fashions. Once certain concepts of fashion have reached mainstream audiences, hipsters move on to something new and improved. This is not looking good for me. One of my profile pictures has me smiling next to third-world refugee children. This article, 28 Signs You're a Hipster, says that one sign of being a hipster is that at least one of your profile pictures is you smiling with a bunch of impoverished children in Africa, South America, or Southeast Asia. Man, I had no idea. I just thought, you know, service and sharing cultures brings me joy, you know? Little did I know, this whole time I was falling so deeply into a pit of hipster stereotypes. (sighs) Who would have thought? It just blindsided me. Here I was just living my life when I ran into this label. And if someone labeled me as hipster, it could happen to anyone. Beware. Oh, I am all about the environment. I just drive this old car, ironically. You think you're mainstream, you're a typical jock or rebellious punk rock star, or you just prefer no label at all. But look out. Hipsters are flooding the earth. And you too could very well be hipster without even realizing it. Well, everyone, stay alert and remember the symptoms. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Friday to you. And uh, Friday in the third hour of the show means it's time to talk movies. Oh, we've got a lot to get into. Mario Day, by the way, from... uh, the famous Mario, Mario Kart, Nintendo game, Donkey Kong, his brother Luigi sporting those incredible mustaches. His girlfriend, Princess Peach. Uh, they, by the way, I don't know Was their relationship. Toadstool. Well, there's a toad, right? There's a toadstool. But there's a Princess Toadstool as well. Oh, oh there is? And there's a Peach. And they race each other in Mario Kart. Sometimes. I love it. And... Uh, Bowser. I mean, these are great. I think uh, uh, I think McKenna Bowser is related to him. Yeah, let's call her Bowser. Uh, it's Mario Day. It's also International Bagpipe Day. One of my favorite days. Nothing better than a bag of air squeezed under one man's arm, pushing through a beautiful pipe. 
You know, when you put it that way, it doesn't sound as good. No. When you put it this way, oh. what you're listening to now doesn't sound as good either. I want bagpipes at my funeral. I want a, I want a 42-gun salute. It's twice as many as a 21-gun. How about a 42-piper salute? Not as not as good. No. I want guns. I want cannons, fireworks. I want Irish dancers. Wouldn't you rather the money that you that you're going to end up paying for this just go to your family? No, I'll be dead. Okay, it's not a problem. I'll be dead. I'm my family will be much wealthier with me dead. Sad but true. That's true for me too. <laughs> it's kind of sad. That's why my wife always looks at me like, "How you feeling?" You look like you're getting healthier. That's really why you ought to treat your wife nice. Exactly. She could take you out. It's also Day of Awesomeness. The Day of Awesomeness celebrates the awesome that exists in each of us every day and gives us an excuse to make our awesomeness shine. You're awesome. No, you are. No, you. No, you. Okay. Terry, did you want to jump in on this? Uh, No, go ahead. You guys seem to have this uh, well taken care of. No, you're awesome, Jeff. (laughs) Anyway, got a great uh, show. We will be talking um, movies, of course. You got to get into the movies with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. We'll do a little review of the movie coming out, Kong, Skull Island. Sounds like a video game. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> Kong. Not, someone's working on it. It's a. It's it's going to be a good one, and it sets up a lot of really fun stuff. Coming ahead, um, we'll get to that. Also, we, of course, will go visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. <laughs> Got to get into that in detail. Also, um, some empty news. Don't forget, by the way, you're supposed to talk about little kids and clothing choices. We forgot to do that. Little kids and clothing choices with Remember, Spencer we, Linton. We've been writing it down uh-huh. as a note every single day, and we always forget. Yeah, because he's he's asking, at what age is it just not appropriate for your kids to wear certain cute outfits? At what age do they outgrow kind of certain clothing right. or apparel? An yeah. outfit on a toddler is not going to be as cute on a 30 or 40-year-old. Well, especially if it doesn't fit right. Especially. Nothing worse than a grown man wearing like child pajamas with his belly hanging out. They only go to his knees. It doesn't look right. We'll get to all that fun. Plus, of course, um, you know, how about firefighters in Wisconsin have to fight a fire at their own firehouse? Huh. That's a twist. That's a total twist. Yeah. That's, you know, that's embarrassing. But you know what? I bet they're good at it. Well, they're well practiced. You'd think so, huh? And, and they know the inside of that building fairly well, so they could, you know, strategize on how to fight it better than they could just some random building. They yeah. don't have to take the fire truck out to the location because right. that is the location. Yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully you can get the fire truck out. Hopefully. That's the problem. Yeah. Once the firehouse is on fire, you know, it's hard to get the truck out. We'll get to all that fun. Plus, a U-Haul driver leads cops on a high-speed chase. Those are always fun. See, and U-Haul trucks are known for their handling, and their, their, oh, yeah. their turning radius. Their rack just... and pinion steering. Right. I love that. You know what I would do? Well, we'll, we'll talk about it once we get to the story. Well, yeah. I have a solution for getting away. In a U-Haul? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're planning an escape with a U-Haul, listen up. Does it involve pushing furniture out of the back of the U-Haul? Well, we just saved ourselves 60 <laughs> seconds. Okay. Awesome.
That went fast. Now to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what do we need to be paying attention to? Tea Party Patriots co-founder Ginny Beth Martin did not shy away from voicing her dissatisfaction with Republicans' new health care proposal during her appearance Thursday on CNN. Martin, a longtime Tea Party leader and columnist for The Washington Times, was among those who met with President Trump Wednesday night to discuss the American Health Care Act rolled out earlier this week. If it passes the way it is presented right now, hardworking taxpayers of this country will be forgotten once again, she said, noting the bill will cause health care insurance prices to skyrocket. The new health care bill was a topic during yesterday's White House uh, press briefing. Yeah, yeah, I watched it. Sean Spicer. Spicer, spicy. Um, there was a clip a guy put together. He started noticing a trend during the press conference. Let me see if you can pick up on this. I, I'm not aware of it, but that's my point, is that we're not aware of anything. I said I'm not aware, and I'm, we're not aware. No, we're not aware. I, I don't know, John. That's a hypothetical that I'm not prepared to ask. I don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know any of that. I would refer that question to the, to the campaign. I refer you to the Department of Defense on that one. And again, I would, I would refer you back to the Department of Defense on that I don't have anything further on that, but I'm not aware. But I, I don't know that there's uh, a distinction there that's, that's noteworthy, but it would be inappropriate for me to be commenting on it. We don't comment, and I don't have anything to comment on this time. Did you catch a trend, a, a pattern of behavior? Yeah, uh, I did. Um, it sounds like uh, – can you imagine Spicer with his wife? <laughs> like, so where's your check? I, you know, I'm not aware of I'm that. I'm not aware. I'm not aware of that. Not I do aware. not know – I mean, I know there is a check. I'm not aware – that this was an issue. Not aware of it. Do you love me? Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I think we've said enough on that. Yeah. I'm not aware that there's an issue to even bring up. Doesn't seem to have a lot of answers. Defers to other departments. That kind of thing. It's becoming a trend, and some people are no, beginning to notice. So. It's just something to keep your eye on. Good stuff. More than 100 bomb threats made to Jewish groups in the U.S. and U.K. since January 7th are believed to be linked, investigators said Thursday. Scotland Yard and the FBI are collaborating to probe the threats, which have reportedly been made over the phone by men and women with American accents using an electronic scrambler to distort their voices, just like you use, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least 140 such threats have been made by to Jewish centers in the U.S. alone, Jewish community leaders told Reuters, although the callers claim there is an improvised Explosive outside the building. In each case, no bombs have been found in either of the country's facilities. So apparently, UK and US threats are linked. Somehow, this is a group, possibly. Ooh, interesting. That is working to make the these tangled threats. web. In response to recent criticism from the US and a human rights report, China turning the tables Thursday with a report devoted to human rights problems in the United States. Beijing reports uh, condemned U.S. authorities for wielding the baton of human rights and criticizing other countries' track records while paying no attention to its own terrible human rights problems. Among those problems, a report singled out worsening racial discrimination, a presidential election that was full of lies and farces. Last week, a U.S. report on human rights abuse in uh, 200 different countries warned of repression and coercion of civil civil society groups in China. Wow. China likes to say, mind your own business. The throwdown. Yeah, so we'll see where that goes. On Wednesday, this is the end finally. On Wednesday, an Amtrak train in North Dakota carrying 111 passengers got stuck in the snow for 13 hours. Shortly after... uh, Leaving the station early Wednesday, uh, an overnight delay due to high winds and snow, the train got lodged in a massive snowbank north of uh, in north central North Dakota. The snowbank measured an estimated 200 feet in length and loomed 25 feet high. Needless to say, getting the train unstuck was no easy feat. CBS News reported railway workers had to use bulldozers and shovels <laughs> to dig out the train by hand. Other crews first used snow plows and then uh, something else here. 
another instrument of yeah. destruction of some kind. When all of that wasn't working, two freight trains reportedly tried to pull the train out, and then <laughs> four freight trains connected and yeah. tried to pull the train out. Three failed attempts. Thirteen hours later, the train was finally freed. After the inspection, the train was back on its way within the hour. Amtrak said everybody on board was very comfortable and in the just uh, doing their work in the cabin, just having a, a great time because it doesn't really matter because you're on the train, right? You know, in my day when we got stuck in the snow, everyone gets out yeah. and you just rock it. You just rock the train, right? See if everyone, if you just get the hundred people and have them lean on the train, just get the thing rocking. Maybe throw down some kitty litter, a little salt. Mm-hmm. It's all about you're out. Momentum. You're out of there. You to get the train rolling forward. Always take a shovel on your train with you. Never know when you'll be digging the train out. That's <laughs> what I, Grandma used to say. But I thought I thought the old saying was, "If this train's a rockin', no, oh, that's something else." That's a, okay. the, yeah. I think yeah. Mm. Um, uh, interesting thing is um, about trains. You you would think I didn't know they could get stuck like yeah. that. This apparently went just plowing right through a snowbank and got stuck. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Yeah. How would you like to be that engineer? Uh, just like to report in. Hey, uh, Larry, I heard you got the train stuck. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've never had a train stuck in North Dakota before. And you do not want to be hazed by other train conductors. Oh, those guys in those hats drive me crazy. They're nice hats, though. Um, boy. Well, I'm glad they got out eventually. Firefighters in Wisconsin fight a fire at their own firehouse. Um, Is this I, a tongue twister? No. How many firefighters does it take to fight a fire at a firehouse? Uh, Maryville, this was in Maryville, Wisconsin. They had to respond to a fire at a familiar scene, their own firehouse. Firefighters were dispatched around 10 p.m. Saturday after a passerby reported seeing flames at the station, which is not staffed around the clock. The firefighters fire, uh, the fire volunteer fire department said in a statement Sunday that crews arrived to find a vehicle on fire inside the station. They put it out. The fire was confined to the vehicle, but the station had to be ventilated due to heavy smoke. Hmm. Investigators are still trying to figure out what sparked the fire. The department says the fire won't affect its operations. Cleanup was underway Sunday. Okay, let me just do a little tallying here. Okay. Um, Let's see. One fire truck. You used the word fire 77 times. Thank you. Wow. You, it took a chalkboard to do that? Yeah. We just don't have the budget for the white board. Yeah. We need to get you a whiteboard. It might be, it might be more you know, quieter. Maybe it's something that we wouldn't have to hear on the radio. Was that not a pleasant – see, now, if I would have taken my fingernails, that I, I, that's why we have the chalkboard so that yeah. if I need to use it as a torture device, I can just Ugh. take my nails down the board. Well, thank you for not. It's coming, so you better be nice. You never know. Hey, uh, an employee of a Rhode Island city uh, – of um, a Rhode Island city wasn't sleeping on the job. It appears he was sleeping at his job. A highway department worker who had just sold his house set up a makeshift bedroom on the second floor of the department's building. A photo making its way around social media shows a room with a bed, a nightstand, a coffee maker, even slippers. You know, you would think people wouldn't want to spend an extra second at their job. Not this guy. Once you sell your house, you're like, I got to sleep somewhere. And he packed his slippers, packed his satiny robe or whatever. There he goes. 
slippers. He even had appeared to have his pajamas uh, in the picture. The city administration director confirms that an employee has been disciplined. He says the bedroom was in use for a short period of time and the setup has ended. The worker's name has not been released to the public. I mean, honestly, a lot of us spend so much time at work, you'd think you should live there. Yeah. Don't you have a pair of slippers here? Oh, yeah. Don't you have a toothbrush here? Uh-huh, I have a robe. I've got yeah. it all. You've I got an emergency kit here. I don't live here, but I, I sleep here every day. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I feel like I'm sleeping. No, that's just the show. Entertainment. Yeah. So, uh, again, city worker. Stopped. Foiled. And uh, to wrap up this excitement, folks, a U-Haul driver leads cops on a high-speed chase from Santa Rosa to San Francisco. A man in a U-Haul truck escaped Wednesday night after leading law enforcement officers on a marathon high-speed chase from Santa Rosa to San Francisco. He escaped. How did he get away? A man in a U-Haul truck, he somehow led law enforcement officers on a marathon chase, and uh, it remained unclear Thursday why the driver was so intent on outrunning the officers. A Sonoma County Sheriff's deputy tried to stop the truck, but the driver did not pull pull over. He got on Highway 101 and led deputies on a chase that snaked through Santa Rosa, Rohnert Park, and eventually into San Francisco, roaring along the highways at speeds exceeding 100 miles an hour at times. Those U-Haul late fees are just insane. Yeah, that's... He was trying to get back before, you know... That's a great point. He's paying, he's paying so much a mile. They're going to keep his deposit if he doesn't right. get it back on time. He's got to get it. I mean, you're good at getting your deposit back, aren't you? No explanation needed. None taken. And uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's just a little inside fun right there. The um, I guess when we look at it, though, that's a great point. He, he wanted to get his money back. But... Is it worth, you know, a felony, evading arrest, the spike strips that they have to throw down? Ooh. I mean, this could have gone bad. He could have tipped over, lost all of the stuff in the back. Well, you know, you think you're moving into a different home, and uh, he's moving into one that he wasn't planning on originally. That's right. And you made a really good point um, about when he finally pulls over, be careful opening the back because things have shifted. You know what I mean? At 100 miles an hour, things are shifting. Now he's going to the big, big house. Yeah. Uh, You know what? Because we care about you, we've put together a public service announcement about evading police, my friends. We'll play it as we go to commercial. We'll be back after the break talking movies. Stick with us. While most people have run-ins with the law in some form or another, very few know how to react when confronted by police officers. And even fewer know how to successfully outrun the police when trying to avoid what could be a hefty prison sentence. Here are three tried and true ways to escape the authorities when going to jail just isn't an option, or when it's just really inconvenient. One. At all times, wear layers of different clothing, as well as a wig and perhaps some removable facial hair, because you never know when you'll need to flee on foot, and it's much easier to shed a disguise than to come up with a new one on the run. 
The gallons of sweat and irritated skin will be well worth it if you escape. Two, in addition to donning extra clothing, be sure to stuff your pockets full of canine treats. Because when the officers can't keep up, they're sure to sick the dogs on you. And if you have the room, why not include a ham bone or a jar of peanut butter? The ham bone will taste better than you, and the peanut butter will keep the dog's tongues busy for several minutes. And three, if all else fails, you can always rely on the time-honored rule of timeout. Calling timeout gives you a chance to take a breather, as well as provide you with an opportunity to formulate a new plan. But remember, when you're ready to resume the chase, make sure to call time in. This message brought to you by the book Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior While Evading the Police. Welcome back, friends. It's Friday, which means it's movies time. And who better to help us with that than Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Rod is a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Today, we're talking about Kong. How are you, Rod? Good to have you with us. Thank you, Matt. I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, okay. I have a cold. But Uh, other than that... See, you caught my cold from last week. I did. I did. It came right through. You know, high-speed internet, that's the problem. You get viruses. I know. We have to... They say we need better filters so that we we don't let those viruses (laughs) slip through. That is correct. So talk about Kong. I mean, this is a King Kong revisit. Huh? We're coming back to Kong. Yeah. Okay, so I went into this one with the lowest of expectations because I found the last one rather tedious and boring. And um, and so, yeah, not expecting much is a really good way to go into a movie because I find <laughs> when I <laughs> do that, I'm often pleasantly surprised. That's great. That's funny. That's a funny uh, way to approach it. What uh, what did you what are you seeing? It's a PG-13 movie, right? Yes. Yes, it is. So let it will. Let's talk about the parent side of it first. Actually, let's talk about the story, because, of course, a monster movie has an incredibly good story. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's reasonably good. So it takes place in 1973 and the Vietnam is just the Vietnam War has just ended. And uh, there's this scientist guy played by John Goodman. And my goodness, has John lost weight? He really, really? has. Um yeah, I, I kind of liked John a couple of years ago. He's he's looking quite slim down. And anyhow, enough about John. <laughs> he plays the scientist who is convinced that there are these large, oh, I'm trying to call, remember what it's called now. MUTO is the, is the acronym, but these unknown monsters that live on the earth, these really large beasts. And he's convinced that there is one somewhere in the South Pacific. And he says when the Americans were bombing the Bikini Atoll and doing those nuclear tests, those weren't tests. They were actually targeting something. Mm. And so now in 1973, NASA has just launched its first satellite that can take uh, photographs of the Earth. And they discover this island that nobody has known about. It's always surrounded with cloud and bad weather. So John Goodman's character decides that he is going to convince the U.S. military to take a team of people there with him. And, of course, he can't tell them he wants to go monster hunting. So he says, look at this island. You want to get there before the Russians do. And, of course, that that convinces that convinces the military we better get over there and have a look. And uh, so they get there. 
and on what is supposed to be a geological expedition, but what uh, this Randa guy does, what the scientist does, he starts dropping these charges on the ground, hoping that will flush out the monster. And guess what? It certainly does. Mm. So, yeah, it always so, does. No, I'm watching yeah, the so trailer no, right those, now. It's intense. Holy cow. Yeah, it is. And I was going to say, no surprise on this one, parents. There's going to be a lot of violence in this movie, lots of monster violence. And the monsters are, um, and notice I'm saying monsters plural. I don't want to give away too much here because I think that's part of the fun of the movie. It, it, but um, they really are quite vicious, most of them seem to be really, really hungry. But I guess when you're that big and you're living on a little island and there's there's no fast food places around <laughs> or anything else, when, yeah. you get, when you get some human morsels showing up, that's always a pleasant surprise. And the other thing, Matt, that I always laugh at these movies, this movie has one of the biggest landing parties I've seen. And the bigger the landing party, the more monsters we're going to get because all those guys that didn't get speaking roles you know what's going to happen to them, yeah. right? Yeah, right. <laughs> they're 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 bait, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a speaking role, yeah, that's right. You're going to get eaten. <laughs> so one by one, many of them get eaten, and that is going to be scary for children. Um, and the monsters themselves attacking each other and all of that stuff as well. There's a, I mean, this isn't really explicit bloody violence because it is PG-13, but we get, you know, there's, uh, there's some dismemberment going on here and uh, all sorts of other, you know, kind of ghoulish stuff, uh, impalings and that type of thing. And again, the blood is really kept down to a minimum, so they could still make this PG-13. But definitely, if you want to stay awake for the next three weeks, take your six-year-old <laughs> to this movie. No, I'm being sarcastic. Do not take your six-year-old yeah, to this movie. Yeah, don't take the six-year-old. You, you, you basically gave it a rating on violence of like a D plus, but yeah. uh, everything else, overall, it's a B minus. You're giving it um, as, a, as a choice. You know, this is actually a fairly well-made monster flick. As far as monster flicks go, if you're into this genre, this one rises above the rest. The cinematography is really cool. It uh, They are giving it this kind of gritty 1970s apocalypse now look. Um, and so the, the art that's going into this movie rises way above what the genre usually gets. And uh, and so that part of it, it it's a it's a good looking movie. And, you know, you've seen so many of these special effects movies. This one, what's kind of cool about it is it doesn't look as digital. It, they've managed. And I noticed being the geek I am, I was reading the credits, by the way, stay till the end of the credits, kids. Don't be in a hurry to leave. Ah. But as I was reading the credits, I saw a lot of um, credits for film processing. And I, I haven't had a time, the time to really check, but I think a lot of this was actually shot on good old fashioned film and uh, which gives it more of that look. And uh, and it works. It works really quite well. No, oh, it's amazing. Just the trailer. I could watch the trailer and not even pay a dollar to go. So, Rod, yeah. <laughs> o overall, this movie is better than the Peter Jackson movie from a few years back? Yeah, I think so. I think it is. Um, and uh, I, you know, again, like for family viewing, well, we're putting it right on the line. Are there any really great redeeming messages in here? No, not really. 
about the biggest thing that that comes out of this film is you can have a good discussion uh, of you know how we take care of nature because this movie follows the typical formula where in the first act there's something mysterious going on in the second act we get the the scientists need the military and then in the third act the scientists and the military start butting heads over should we kill it or should we let it live you mm. know and so it's it's that typical scenario but um, yeah, it. I thought it was better. It, I thought it was better than Jackson's outing. And uh, and this. Uh, now I better be quiet because I may have my directors mixed up here. But Jordan Vote Roberts, as far as I'm aware, this is his first like major. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. He did the Kings of Summer and Single Dad. So I mean, like rather amazing. This guy's doesn't have a long, long track record behind him, especially in effects-driven movies, but he's done a great job. Hmm. So, Rod, during the break, I mentioned to you that today is Mario Day, and Matt mentioned on the program that Mario makes his first appearance in uh, the game Donkey Kong. Did you ever see the film, speaking of Kongs, did you ever see the film King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters? I don't think... Was that... No, I'm trying to remember. Was that a documentary? It's a documentary, and it kind of chronicles all the different current record holders for various arcade games. And it it focuses coming back to me. Yeah, it focuses mainly on the two men that uh, have the interchanging record for uh, the game Donkey Kong. Wow! Yes, they made a movie about that. It is one of the most entertaining documentaries I've seen. Really? Yes. Wow. I would highly I recommend that. I this now. Yes. It is PG-13, though. And there was a movie inspired by this documentary that came out a few years ago about these guys. I think, was it an Adam Sandler movie? I think that crazy Pixels. Pac-Man. Which yeah, one? Was it Pixels. Pixels? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I'm in dangerous territory here because my memory, <laughs> you know, I'm the worst film critic for memory. I, I I have friends who can quote every movie, every director, and I go, huh? And if I don't have the IMDb That's in front Jeff. of me, I'm just gone. Jeff always leads us into dangerous territory, just so you know that, Rod. <laughs> hey, Rod, isn't Moana coming out on DVD as well? Moana is coming out on DVD. By the way, doesn't she, on DVD. doesn't she live on Skull Blu-ray. Island? I think she lives on Skull Island. Yeah, you know, there's actually, I was saying that in a couple of my other shows this week, there's a nice little theme going on here about movies and tropical islands this week. Yeah. <laughs> you got to watch yeah, out. So, yeah, for the little kids, I would suggest Moana. There's, there's not really much for scary monsters in that one. But yes, it is out on, what is the word now that the marketers are using on HD, on HD video? That's what they're saying. Oh, it's on, out HD on HD video. video. Not yeah. the old SD video. Yeah, HD. no Blu-ray or DVDs. Sorry, Matt. Yeah. You, you gotta get on Blu-ray or 4K, 4K Come UHD. On. Come on! I mean, oh, these acronyms. My, my, I'm still on cassette. That's how old I am. <laughs> That's how old this is getting. Well, Rod, this is good stuff. Uh, it looks like a good weekend for movies, then. Yeah, not bad. You know, if you've got teens, uh, you could have a, a really good outing with your with your older teens at Kong. If you got younger kids, I would say go pick up Moana and. Pop up a huge bowl of popcorn and have fun with that one. It's a good one. Rod, thank you, my friend. Keep up your great work there at parentpreviews.com. Thank you.
this really, uh, it's a great resource. I, I love uh, just to go look at the site, look at the questions that you can use to deepen the conversation around certain movies. I mean, it, there's always more to the whole, you know, experience. You got to get to the theater. You got to get back. There might be a conversation you could spark with your kids and take it to a whole new level. We'll take a break, folks, when we come back. Just got a little uh, movie question we're going to explore. What do what do the, the muir, movie viewers really want to see? It's kind of confusing. What's popular and uh, what they're making, they don't always add up. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Hey, time for a little uh, movie discussion here with who better than Jeffrey Simpson, who really, when Rod brought up earlier, you you make movies dangerous because just in your head, in the encyclopedia that we think of as your brain, you have stored billions and billions and billions of pieces of information, and some of them are even important. I can't even explain it. It's not like I sit down and I try to memorize this stuff. It just sticks. See, that's crazy. None of it sticks to me. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, you don't like movies. No. Apparently. I mean, I like them. (laughs) I just don't want it to... What it is, is I don't want them to go... When I die and go straight to heaven, I don't want these things to be in my head. I see. So I just I just use them here on earth, and then I just let them slough off and drop to the ground. Well, I'm still hoping that when we pass on, we'll be able to watch portions of our life as if it was a movie. Anyway, that's okay. a different discussion for a different day. Yeah. You know, there's a movie that came out that Rod didn't mention, and it's called Tim Timmerman, Hope of America. Yes. And the reason you'll, it'll become clear why I'm bringing this up here in a second. But Tim Timmerman is about an irresponsible, but he's a popular student body president who will do anything to get into Yale, anything except actually work for it and get good grades. Yeah, anything you to know. go to school and so, study. Yeah, so he's very much like a Ferris Bueller type. He pulls pranks. He schmoozes his constituents. Uh, he's late for class. Uh, he's not as immune to Ferris Bueller as uh, as immune. He's not as immune as Ferris Bueller is to trouble. Anyway, uh, at the beginning of the film, he's facing impeachment, and uh, you know his chances of getting in, into Yale are starting to diminish. But his hope is restored when he meets a senator who announces that one lucky student will be selected to be his aide in Washington, D.C. So Tim sees this as his ticket into Yale and begins wooing the senator's daughter, who happens to be the student body president at a rival school. So it's fun. It takes place in the mid-90s, and uh, they have a lot of fun with nostalgia and making fun of how we used to own Discmans and we had, you know, the cordless phones and all that. It's like Ferris Bueller meets Better Off Dead meets Napoleon Dynamite. Anyway, the reason I talk about this is unless you live in Utah, you're not going to be able to see this. And part of the reason is it's an independent film. The filmmakers took it to some high ups in in, uh, Hollywood and were basically told, great movie, but it's not raunchy enough, so it's not going to sell. So... They had to get backed by VidAngel Studios, who is a company that focuses on bringing people quality, clean entertainment. And so they took it on, and they're really trying to get this thing going. So if you look at the the box office reports from last weekend, you see some interesting things. The number one and number two movies. Number one movie, Logan, 
$88 million over a three-day weekend, or wow. over the weekend, right? It's a good weekend. So that was in over four, almost 5,000, no, almost 4,100 screens with an average of $21,000 per screen. So clearly, a lot of people are going to see that movie, right? right? right. Number two, Get Out, $28 million with an average of $9,000 per screen. Yeah, Get Out! I think that's how you say Also, it. rated R, horror movie. Huh. Okay. Number three, The Shack. Now, if you remember, if you listened last week, you'll remember this movie that uh, Rob reviewed. I love him. He's great. <laughs> that would be so great. Great actor. No, this is actually a religious movie that made, came in number three, $16 million, $5,600 per screen. Huh. So if you look at the per screen average, it's huge. Okay. Go down to number 44 on the list over the weekend, Tim Timmerman, Hope of America. It only made $50,604, but it had an average of over $4,000 per screen. Wow. Which is higher than anything else on this list. So I, I, I I took a look at these numbers, and I'm wondering, what does this tell us about us as audience members, these movies that we're going to see. Are we going to see them because this is really what we want to see, or are we going to see them because this is what's available? It's all we so got. So Logan is on a huge number of screens, and this is the first Wolverine movie to be rated R. So are people going to see it because it's rated R, or are they going to see it because they've already seen all the other films, they're a fan of superhero movies, they were going to go see it anyway? You know what? That's, what do you think? Well, I don't think Hollywood represents me, so I don't. I wouldn't assume that their movie choices represent me either. And that's clear from the, especially from the Tim Timmerman and the Shack yeah. examples, because Tim Timmerman, the the filmmakers were told it's not raunchy enough; people aren't going to go see it. And yet, it has one of the highest per screen averages of any of these movies, hundreds of movies. Right. I. I think the thing – I guess in the end we we talk, right? My money talks and it must be telling Hollywood something because they keep making movies that I'm not interested in and – but apparently someone is, right? Or they would or, – or, or a lot of these movies flopping. Yeah. And, you know, these religious movies do so – so well. They, they seem to have this niche market. It's already set. Low budget. Yeah. And they just have a huge return on investment because I think the numbers clearly show that people do want to go see movies that are uplifting, that deal with really uh, sensitive topics like religion and death. They want that. Yeah. Now, you know, the numbers also suggest that people want to see movies like Logan and Get Out. But think about the radio. Think about the songs that you hear on the radio. Are we hearing those songs because that's what people are demanding? Are they calling up the radio stations and asking for that? Or are there some executives behind the scenes pulling the strings oh, yeah. and saying, this is what you will listen yeah, to. Play this. This is what you play will like. This. I think it's true because my kids don't listen to the top 20 songs. Me my either. kids listen to Spotify and they love every offshoot, every different branch. I mean, it's. I wonder if if – with this new media, if we're not going to set up, you know, certain things to fail, because a millennial, yeah. for example, is not going to be told what to listen to. Right. 
or watch. The unfortunate thing, you know, especially from Rod's perspective, where he's trying to help parents make informed decisions about which movies to show to your kids, Hollywood executives are going to see these numbers and they're going to say, oh, well, Logan made $88 million. It's rated R. So we're going to keep making these rated R movies because that's what the people that's want. That's what the people want. They no. think that Deadpool Deadpool was rated R. It made all this money. And that's why Logan is rated R and it made that's all right. this money. So they're just – it's going to keep going this way. Well, and on the show we talk a lot about um, you know groups, companies that do what they can to take uh, R-rated material out of movies so that our families can watch some of these films. But that doesn't seem to motivate or move Hollywood either. So – no, in they're, fact, like they're, they're trying not. to take those companies down. Yeah. And yet, if you look at the numbers on the more tame family movies, people really want to go see those. They're flocking to yeah. those. Man. See, Jeff, good insight. Jeez, you just need your own show. I don't know. Uh, great stuff. We'll take a break. When we come back, we got to get to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, and we got to find out. Spencer's got a little uh, question about kids and clothing. You know, what's appropriate when? Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Let's mosey on down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Uh, Spencer and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Good morning. How are you doing? How'd you enjoy my dance moves outside of the uh, BYU radio window? You know what? Honestly, we are still laughing about it. You should be because it's a sad excuse <laughs> for an attempt at dancing. I have not seen hip action like that since Vietnam. Should be against the honor code, right? Totally. Oh, it is against the honor code. Pretty sure. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. I won't tell a soul. Hey, now I have to ask you this because we keep forgetting. Little kids and their clothing, what's appropriate, what's not? Okay, so I was <laughs> laughing at my five-year-old Jax because he'll wake up in the morning and he wants to play Angry Birds on my phone <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, So he'll put on these tube socks and pull them up to his knees, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and he's rocking his you know, Paw Patrol underwear or whatever. And I'm like, that's really cute. You're a cute kid. And I can't say no to you. So, yes, you can play on my phone. (laughs) And he gives me a hug, and it's great, and we laugh at him. But then we were talking the other day, like, at what point (laughs) does that not become cute anymore? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How old do they have to be when when you're like, okay, go go put on some shorts. Yeah, right. And a T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At what point are shorts mandatory? When – what age? And I don't have the answer. Yeah. When, when is that not okay anymore? Well, you know what? Let me just suggest. Because remember, Spencer, there's a lot of times that, that parents aren't involved at all with their children. Right. And so it might not even be a decision you need to make. It, it's a decision eventually the police will make. <laughs> we'll make for you. Yeah, they'll just – they'll take care of it if you want to abdicate your responsibility. Yeah, yeah. But I would say, you know, the minute <laughs> – the minute you have to look away, <laughs> you know, the minute you actually like, okay, I'm looking away, that's, that's when it's weird. Okay. You know that's, I mean? a, that's a moving line. That's a moving target. Right? Totally what age, what, so what age, uh, Matt, did you stop doing that? Well, you know. Has it stopped? I was going to say, is, 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 have we gotten to that point yet? Yeah. Yeah. I was about 30, 36. 
<laughs> and your mom had to look away. Yeah, my mom's like, I'm not. I, I got to look away. No, um, it's isn't it funny how these little parents – because some things are really cute. I, I mean, have you ever noticed that some things are really cute once with your kids? But if they keep doing it, then it's like seriously annoying. Well, yes. Because once they see that you reacted positively to it, yeah. it's like, boom, that's what mom and dad like. I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> they don't realize how quickly it gets annoying. I'm just going to keep punching dad. <laughs> and at first everyone's laugh is funny. Then he just takes another punch and eventually you two are, you know, fight yeah. clubbing it in yes. the backyard. Yeah. See, the worst thing, at least in our house, that I get from my wife is the look. Because when kids do something that's probably not appropriate and then I think it's so funny I can't stop laughing. Yeah, yeah. You know, see, it just encourages them. But it's not things that they should be encouraged to do. <laughs> Like, you know, right. like, like talking about things that you just shouldn't talk about, you mm-hmm. know, that I find just extremely funny and that my wife just like, you know, she gives you the look. She's like, why, why are you, why are you doing that? Because now he's going to think that he can talk about that stuff. Yeah. Why are you encouraging it, Jason? Yeah, Like, like he's going to bring, he's going to bring up bathroom time at in primary or something. Right, right, right. Because, you know, grow like, yeah. And don't you hate it when she's like saying grow up? Yes. And and it's even worse like when she's right. Yes. Like you need to grow up. <laughs> I do need to grow up, but I don't want you to tell me that I need yeah. to grow like up. Like your children will 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 burp and you just think it's hilarious. That's hilarious. Who doesn't but, like that? Yeah. And so yeah. they're going to think that when they burp in public that everyone's going to think it's hilarious. How how about how about another example where you're actually fighting with the kid and the kid's like winning in the in the in the verbal arg- argument and your wife is like Stop it. Like, quit fighting about something so stupid, and now you've taken the role of child. Uh, Isn't it funny how that happens? I mean, it's never happened to me, but I've heard course, it happen. Of course not. happens yes. to a lot of people. Yes. I get manipulated by my five-year-old every night. Really? Yes. Knowingly. Like, I'm like, he's manipulating me right now, and I'm totally buying into it. What, what is, what is he, what's he doing? Oh, it'll be like, um, Daddy, sometimes remember how uh, before I go to bed— um, I use the flashlight to read a book in my bed, and then I go to sleep. After his mom has been like, yeah. you are not reading a book right. in your bed. Right. It's way past your bedtime. And I'm like, yeah, I remember that. And he's like, yeah, okay. Um, I really like that. And maybe, I, maybe this is that time. When I get to do that. <laughs> and then you give in, right? And yes. then And he takes the flashlight. Of course we all give in. Yeah. That, that's just bad parenting. When it's, bed, when it's bedtime, it your it kids is. You're like, Dad, Dad, let's watch – Let's watch that game together. Yeah. Like, what? Oh. Like, like, how are you not yeah. going to say yes? So well, you, your wife's just spent an hour trying to get him to go to bed, but then they're like, Dad, can I, can I lay in bed and we can watch that <laughs> basketball game together? Oh, and they're, they're, oh absolutely. Right. Right. Absolutely Dad, they're learning. We, we want to we bond on the hoops, Dad. Yeah. I mean, you can't. As, as a father, you <laughs> cannot say no to that. No. Well, <laughs> you are a horrible father if you say no to that. I'm no. just going to say that right now. Well, but let me give you a little advice as one who's lived a little longer. Um uh wait till, you know, wait till you're picking him up in jail. <laughs> and then all these flashbacks of how many times you let him stay up to watch the game. Yeah. Against the, the mom's judge word. Is sen- the judge right. is sentencing him and yeah. he's like, "By the way, when you were a child, did you stay up late to watch basketball?" <laughs> right. <laughs> Your dad lets you read books with because I think it all head. stems from that moment. <laughs> is that your father right there? Yeah, that's exactly right. It all goes back to you, Spencer. So is your father's. Really, fault. you're the one that should be experiencing this 
life sentence in prison. <laughs> right. It wasn't even you. Hey, talk about your show. What's up? Okay. Uh, you've only got a few br- seconds. The, the brief synopsis. Yeah. The NIT for mm. BYU basketball. Yeah. It has a Silver Linings playbook. Really? Mm. Yes. It's a good movie. It's the consolation prize, obviously. But we're going to tell you why it could be just what BYU wants and needs. There okay. you go. Okay. See, that's good. Yeah. So we got that. We also have Mike Littlewood, the head baseball coach at BYU, on the show to get some karma, to get the boost, to turn things around for BYU baseball in the early season. They have been on the unfortunate end of a lot of close losses. Yeah, they're, uh, they've got a doubleheader today, so we, uh, we're, we're, looking, we're looking forward to talking with Coach Little. We're also going to talk a little NFL draft. Connor Rogers covers the NFL draft for Bleacher Report. We'll find out where he thinks Jamal Williams and Harvey Longy will go in next month's draft. That's there you go. great. There you go. Okay, that's a great show. It's only four and a half minutes away, gentlemen. Go get ready. BYU and Utah could play each other in the NIT, man. It can happen. Everybody pray for it this weekend. Okay. We'll pray, pray, pray. Well done. Have a great show, too. By the way, a little update, a little uh, reminder for all y'all. Time to change your time again. Daylight savings time returns. Daylight savings time returns this weekend in the United States. Short-term pain. Lose an hour of sleep Saturday night. Long-term gain. enjoy, Enjoy more evening light in the months ahead. It's pretty exciting. When the weather warms and uh, you want to be outdoors, it's going to be good. Now, now you can go out and play ball with your kids. Oh, Jeff's already losing sleep or actually gaining sleep, I guess. Uh, make sure you advance your clock 60 minutes ahead before going to bed Saturday night. That way you won't be caught off guard Sunday morning at 2 a.m. Sorry, I was just trying to get that extra hour in. Yeah, um, just to wish you just, you only got like four more minutes of the show. You mm. just got to focus. Just we'll drive this baby home. Drive it home. Hey, uh, fun story, Hawaii bound. If you've ever been to Hawaii, that's a long flight. Um, it gets even longer on your way back when people are fighting over a blanket. A Hawaii bound flight was diverted to LAX on Wednesday after an unruly passenger threatened to take someone behind the woodshed. Oh, boy, at 35,000 feet, that's a big shed. Um, He didn't want to pay $12 for a blanket. The 66-year-old man aboard the Hawaiian Airlines flight from Las Vegas reportedly became agitated after asking for a blanket and being told it would cost him $12. Sorry, you've got a freeze, sir. I know how he feels. Yeah. When I go to Del Taco and they tell me I have to pay 25 cents for a little cup of water. That's ridiculous. I take him out behind the shed, too. Yeah, you got to be careful, though. Officer uh, Rod Pedragon, of sp- spokesman for the Los Angeles Airport Police Department, said the man demanded to speak with an airline corporate office but about the blanket and was uh, able to do so with an in-flight call. But he then told the company representative that he would like to take someone behind the woodshed for this. The flight was then promptly diverted to LAX over the unruly passenger. By the way, they were looking for a woodshed. Uh, in L.A., which is hard to find. The passenger was met by police and federal authorities upon its arrival, and, uh, you know, he was taken into custody. And they had to divert everybody, you know, put them all on another plane. shouldn't have to pay for warmth on a plane. No, you shouldn't. Free peanuts, you know, all that. 
sad. Hey, the hero story is a uh, hero steers a school bus from danger, saves dozens of children on board. Alabama high school student Jesse Frank was riding the bus home last month when he suddenly felt the vehicle start to veer off the road. Children on the bus shrieked as they watched the driver who was suffering a medical emergency collapse behind the wheel. But the Pell City High School senior remained calm. The teenager sprung into action, bolting to the front of the bus and taking control of the steering wheel. Uh, He said, I looked back at her, the driver, and her head was rolled back. Her hands were off the steering wheel, and I was like, yeah, I should do something. Frank used one of his hands to push down on the brake until the bus came to a halt. He then dialed 911 and waited for assistance before removing uh, his hand from the pedal. After he helped, after help arrived, officials say Frank stuck around to comfort the younger children who were shaken up. So that's it. Frank, you are the hero of the day. Jesse Frank, just a teenager, Alabama high school student, stepping in when people needed it. That's what makes a hero. It's just when you're there at the right time doing the right thing. Folks, that's the show. Hopefully we brought you some hope, some joy, a little laughter as well. That's all we can do, but uh, it's weekend time. Go have fun. Make it a great one. Look after the people you love. Uh, Make a commitment to be better than you've been before. And we'll be back Monday with more ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until Monday, my friends, make it a great one. We'll talk again Monday.